0: Welcome back to Awkward and Black Guys, and today we have Daniel once again.
1: Hey, hey, hey! I feel like a regular on the show. I love it.
0: But this is going to be different, this though. It's is going to be different, though. The whole profile Uh-oh. on you.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Wait, let me get the gear ready. You know, <laughs> we
2: haven't we we haven't <laughs> yeah. done a Daniel Mante slash DM Cool episode yet. You know, we figured it would just be right, start off the new year. Ah, this is going to be a good year, man. I really feel this is going to be a good year. I really feel so. How are you, How are you guys feeling today? How are you guys feeling
1: today? Feeling good. Feeling good. You know, good. Uh, as of this uh, recording, it is Super Bowl weekend, Super Bowl Sunday. So mm. that should be interesting. Yeah. Um, other than that, I feel like Black History Month has gone off to a good start. So happy Black History Month worldwide, um, most definitely. Mm. And yeah, just catch up on a lot of good TV shows that are coming out lately.
2: Yeah, man. I feel like this is the first Super Bowl in a long time that... Me, you, Drew are not going to watch it together. So I know,
1: it's so weird. That's
2: right, you guys are going to watch it
0: together.
2: Yeah, it's the first time in a long time, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: that's weird. You no,
2: know, it's it, it's okay. we we alive, we're healthy, we're working, we employed, we good. So, you know, I try to try to be thankful for the good things. How was, how was your week, Whitney?
0: My week was good. Busy with work, but, you know, it is what it is.
2: I know I'm stressed as shit. I'm, I feel like, I'm not going to lie to you, I couldn't sleep last night. I popped two edibles at like 12 o'clock Ooh. to get some sleep, and I'm still feeling it. The morning I woke up, and I was like, God oh, damn it. But we here. Let's start this off right, okay?
0: Disclaimer, ah, like if Justin nice has any written on sentences, this is why.
2: Mm. I, I, just, I, I feel like I gave you a beautiful intro on the very first one, but we are back. Today, we are going to do our second bio episode. I know we did uh, Del Hartley before. We got a few of them coming for the fans in this new year as well. Today, we are going to do friend to the room, family of the podcast, Mr. Daniel Mante, Mr. DM Cool. Oh, this is going to be a good episode, man. It goes, I I go back with you to the beginning. So this is all lived experience for me. I just get to recap and we just get to enjoy this and crack some jokes and have some fun. I'm going to enjoy this, man. But, <laughs> Daniel, the same way that we did with Del Hartley, I like to start from the very beginning. I like to get it from the very, very beginning now. I know that you were born in Canada from Ganyan and Nigerian parents, and you moved around a lot. But let's let's really talk about it. How did it all start for you?
1: All right. Well, first and foremost, I got to give a big shout to my brother, Del Hartley. Del one L. You already know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, how it started for me, man. I mean, yeah. Um yeah, you kinda covered the basics. So yeah, born to uh Ghanaian and Nigerian immigrants. They actually, That's a war in uh, itself.
2: It's a war in itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I'm a I'm a controversial baby, Yeah. so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um yeah, no, nah, like um yeah, born to Ghanaian and Nigerian immigrants. Um they actually immigrated to England before they immigrated to Canada, actually. So, yeah. you know, the uh the uh British colonial connection, if you will. Yes. Um and then Not I was actually well. the, Oh yeah, all too well. All too well um and i was actually the first out of my family to be born in canada so i'm first gen Canadian uh youngest of three so i have an older brother and an older sister um they they will claim that i had it the easiest but it's differ
2: but they always do that they always they do, do that. that they always do that i, I think we're all the youngest pretty, here yeah always yeah. here are the youngest yeah
1: yeah i heard they grew up in a pretty you know well off middle class neighborhood in the uk and how they're the only black family there I'm like, okay, so I'm the one who grew up using yet. Yeah, <laughs> like, well. y- y'all were living like it was Buckingham Palace or some shit. Like, please, like, miss me with that. So anyways, uh, so how it all started off, you know, I'm born, you know, boom. Uh, and then I moved around a lot, as you mentioned. So first four years of my life, I lived in Hamilton. So very few memories of, of you know, city. growing up in Hamilton. Um, and then I moved to Oakville probably when I was, like, either – Four twenty-five or five years old, somewhere around there. Um, lived in Oakville for a bit, and I moved to Mississauga, um, and then I stayed in Mississauga for about six and a half years, give or take. So a lot of like my elementary school years and high school years were spent in in uh, in Mississauga, and a lot of like my uh, adolescence was spent there as well, if you will. And then, um, so you're from- saying you
2: claim Mississauga, then?
1: I do play this saga. Like I don't know. Like Miss saga like near and dear to my heart for whatever reason. I don't know why. It just is. Uh, I feel like a lot of things happened in Miss saga that kind uh, that kind of prepared me for what what life would be like as a young as a young adult and as an adult going forward. Um, and then when I was sixteen, I moved to Brampton for a bit. Uh, moved there for about a year and a half. That's how you and I met, of course. Shout out to uh, the beef. And then um, what was that? I think two thousand and seven. Phil. So, and came here for schooling and all that. But then, like, I just eventually stayed here. Um, and it, it was tough at first coming back because with Mississauga and and, Bro- or something not Burlington, uh, Brampton in particular, they're more multicultural, more diverse. And then coming back to Oakville after being immersed in that, it was like, oh, great, I'm back around white people. All okay, right, cool. okay, so hold on, hold on.
2: Let's <laughs> slow it down, let's slow it down, let's slow it okay. down. What was it? Because most, some people don't have that same um, experience, but... Okay. What was it like growing up in an area where you were the only Black person or one of the only Black persons to then moving to a more culturally diverse area where you were just one of many? Right. Um,
1: so, you know, what the funny thing is, like, my consciousness of race wasn't fully developed when I was a kid. So when I was five years old and what have you, like, I saw mostly white people, but I also saw people who are like, who may have been South Asian or East Asian, um, maybe Middle <laughs> Eastern, who knows, right? Like, I just saw people that I got along with I didn't really have race in the back of my mind like that I wasn't very conscious I wasn't aware of it maybe yeah. subconsciously I was but not to any certain extent what I did notice however is that like if there were other black people around me they were my cousins so whether it was like uh first cousins or third cousins whatever the case may be there were people that were within my family so like I never knew anybody outside my family that was black I never came across anyone like that before um, and then coming into, you know, Mississauga and um, uh, because, you know, that's when my adolescent years started to really come into play. That's when I started becoming a bit more aware of, you know, racial identity and stuff like that. Um, and just the, you know, racial dynamics between other Black people and non-Black people as well. But then sometimes they would also blend into, into one, you know, for better or for worse, right? So sometimes I almost didn't even notice a difference at all in certain situations,
2: Jeez. No, no, I, I, okay. No, I could definitely understand that. I, I've known you for a while and you and Brittany have a similar upbringing. So I've definitely, I could definitely understand it from that side point. And mm-hmm. I know that music was very early in your life, but before I get at that, I know you've mentioned to me many times when we are in college that your dad used to work at Universal and therefore you were privy to a lot of things. Can you speak on that as well?
1: Yeah. yeah. So um, back in 1997, that's when my dad first got the gig at Universal. Um, so he worked at the division in Scarborough. Uh, so I think it's on somewhere on Victoria Avenue, uh, and basically he was there. It was supposed to be like very temporary, maybe like a month or whatever, right? Just uh, uh on like a, like a freelance basis, basically as uh, uh, as an IT consultant. And then they liked him so much that they gave him position. And then he eventually moved up to the ranks of a manager of the entire IT division of that nice, company. Nice, so nice. Yeah, nice. it was sick. It was sick. Um, and what was really cool about it is that like. Um, he was really cool with people who were in like the film division and the music division. So like maybe like once a month we got a box of like free movies and DVDs and CDs and stuff like that. Some of them I were screening that. copies. Like they didn't even have like the official box of art. I would have loved that, man. That's so cool. Um, um, and it would um, show that like right across the bar every time you're watching the movie for like, every five minutes, whatever. I don't know if this is what I should be talking about, but whatever. <laughs> like, <come laughs> do you remember like
2: do you remember like any of the any of the movies or the or the albums that you got at that time? One or two?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was tons. So like a lot of movies, like, that didn't even, like, see the light of day. Like, there was this one movie. I don't know if this ever came out of theaters, but it was a movie with Damon Wayans and uh, Adam Sandler. It was called Bulletproof. I don't know if that ever came out of theaters or if it was, like, a 60 DVD movie. I remember
2: Damon Wayans had that corny superhero movie. What was that?
1: Oh, that was Blank Man.
2: Oh, thank God. No, nah, I don't remember Bulletproof.
1: Blank Man. Blank Man. Oh, Just
2: Google it. Google it. It's bad. It's yeah, bad. It's bad. It's bad. That's that's <laughs> It's but yeah,
1: we had a we had a lot of movies and even like some of the more official ones as well, like the Mummy, for example. Like that's like one of nice. my childhood favorite movies, like Brandon Fraser and all that. Um, we had some of the Austin Powers movies, like we had a lot of the movies even before him working at Universal. Like we were just like really big movie buffs and stuff like that. Like I can't even tell you the amount of times I watched like Home Alone or like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff like that mm-hmm. when I was younger. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of movies and then like also a lot of CDs as well and. I remember, like growing up, like I grew up in a very musical household. So, like my dad was really into like the American styles of music. So, like he was into like the jazz, soul, R and B, and funk, and all that. But then he'd also listen to reggae, um, and then um, some some African music like hip life and and uh, and high life and stuff like that. Um, and then like my mom, she's more into the more traditional African music as well, especially with like with like Nigerian Nigerian style music, juju, for example. She was really into that. Uh, my brother was really into like hardcore hip hop. So like he was all about Wu-Tang Clan, um, Public Enemy, N.W.A. Uh, and then my sister was more into, like, the hipster style of hip-hop, like Native Tongues movements, so like A Tribe Called mm. Quest, Jungle Brothers, okay. um, uh, Queen Latifah, uh, and stuff like that. And then me, I was kind of, like, an amalgamation of everyone, from, from what I know. I just put a mm. little bit of whatever I liked and then, like, whatever I grooved to, like, that was... That. Uh, so when we got, like, all the free CDs from Universal, um, I didn't really listen to them as much at first but it wasn't until like maybe like seventh grade when I started to want to get more into music and stuff like that and just kind of like see what everyone else is talking about and, and kind of mm-hmm. reconnect with hip-hop like I did like when I was a kid or whatever and then like I started noticing like all like the the more commercial stuff that we were getting into our collection so like Eminem was in there because Interscope is a division of Universal yeah and Jay-Z was in there because Def Jam is a, is a division of Universal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ja Rule was in there, right? Um, there, so so many different albums that Jeez. I later cherished because mm-hmm. when I was younger, like around the age 12, 13, I didn't really value them the way I felt like I should have because I only listened to certain albums for the singles. You know what I mean? I didn't really know how to listen to an album yeah. front to back. It wasn't until I was yeah. 16 when I first listened to Illmatic where I learned how to listen to an album front to back and to listen to it like a story being told. And yep. then from that point on, I had to go back to The Blueprint because that's the album that I have from Jay Z. I had yep. to go back to The Marshall Math album. That's the album Same. I have from Eminem. I had to go back to Painless Love from Ja Rule because that's the album I have from him. So on and so forth. And then, like, all these CDs that I got from Universal, or whatever, I'm like, wow. Like, okay, I get it now. Like, this is, I think, I should have been more hyped about it when I was like 12, yeah. 13, but like, being like a 6 year old, now I, I, I get it. Now
2: I get it. I, I think the first album I listened to front to back was like Common B. And maybe, Mm. and then I think I had to go back and really digest everything the same way. But no, I definitely agree with you. Okay, okay, we're on a good track. I remember when I met you, it was in Brampton. It was at Notre Dame, shout out to N.D. And (laughs) I remember at that time, I remember the way how we met. I think like we were just sitting like just in the regular, I think it was a calf or something. And like, Mm. you were the only other person that was into the same style as me. Like at that time, everybody was D block and Dipset and G unit. And then me and you were like Lupe and Kanye and Common and John Legend and Alicia Keys and Gym Class Heroes. I remember that man. I remember that yeah. we were the only ones that were really on that kind of Jay Dilla kind of conscious lane back then. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so funny thing about you know you mentioned Lupe Fiasco. So I think that's one of the first conversations we ever had. Um, I remember the first time I ever heard Lupe Fiasco. It was, it was like the 12th grade or whatever. I think it was like early 2006. Maybe like March or April or something like that. And I remember I was watching one of Park. Um, and it was uh, the new joint of the day was Lupe Fiasco kick push. So they showed the music video. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know nothing about Lupe Fiasco, I had never heard of him before that point. I'm just watching because I want to see, you know, like what's this new song all about, right? And I was pretty, I was a lot more open with my musical taste back then. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm I'll just be down listening to anything. So I remember watching the video and listening to the song as well. and Mind you, I was I've never had like a strong interest in skateboarding or anything like that. But I just appreciated the way he was telling the story. Uh-huh. He was so vivid with it. Like even just little things that he would say in the record. Like, for example, he would say something like, For a week he had a talk with a lisp like this. I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> Attention to detail. I like that. And then uh-huh. even just describing, you know, within the song. Like the, the the sound of a skateboard would make. He would say something like a coo coon His neighbors could have stand it. So I'm like, yeah, a skateboard. You know, make you're that you're gonna make me
2: it. go back and want to download food and liquor again, I mean? man. Oh my god.
1: Describing how you know he met his first love through skateboarding, mm-hmm. and sometimes you meet mm-hmm. your first love.
2: through- People didn't realize it was a love story.
1: Yeah, it was a love story. Like you meet your girl like not just with the girl, but with you know skateboard because like that was that character's passion, right? And so even just like the way he described, he was describing like his first love, whatever, right? Like he was saying, you know, met his girlfriend, she was clapping in the crowd. Love is what was happening to him now. He said, i would marry you, bum and these aerials and burials. Now he's bored enough to to stronger, Terry too. She said, bow, I weigh 120 pounds. I'm like, this guy's going in right now. You know what I mean? Yep. He's like, yep. let me make one thing clear. I'll need to ride yours. I like am right here. Like, what? <laughs> like that. You, like you, you know, you know
2: what, Bernie? I'm, I'm going to suggest those two albums for you. Food and Liquor. By Lupe Fiasco and the cool. More food on liquor, though. More
1: food. Yeah, like that shit blew my mind. So, like, after listening to or like watching the video, listening to the record, I'm like, I'm gonna keep my eyes on this guy. And then I think the next song I heard from him was I gotcha, and it was just pure nerd bars. Like this guy's talking about anime and everything. I'm like, I've never listened to a rapper that was like vocal about his love for like nerd culture, you know. Like I like like the Wu Tang clan made a few like Spider Man references here and there, what have you, but Mm. like this guy was on unapologetically nerdy about his demeanor. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I really got to follow this guy. So I remember, you know, YouTube was popping off around this time and, you know, people were leaking songs and then posting them on the Internet and what have you. So I remember listening to a whole bunch of songs that, like, I hadn't really heard from him yet. So, like, I remember I heard Sunshine off of the Internet. I heard of uh, Steady Mobbing." Heard so many great records from him. And then like My one sunshine, day, like, you know, that's a big record. And then, like, w- like a year later or whatever, I remember I had just moved to Oakville around the but I was still at ND. And um, I had a little bit extra money to myself. So I figured, okay, you know, let me treat myself. I haven't really bought, like, a CD in a minute. Let me, let me just go to HMV. That was a thing back then. <laughs> and uh, let me see what's available. <laughs> so in high school, I was also a fan of Ludacris. I love Ludacris. Like, he's so entertaining to me, right? Like, I love the personality that he brings into his music and all that stuff. And I think he had an album around that time... Uh, called Release Therapy. So I was thinking about getting it. But you know how back in H&M, or sorry, HMV, like the, it was listed in alphabetical order in terms of artists. So Ludacris is up top, but then right below him was Lupe Fiasco. Uh-huh. And it was Food and Liquor. So mind you, I had enough money to buy both albums, but, you know, I was very frugal back then, right? So I'm like, okay, I have to make a choice right now. It's either Ludacris or Lupe. I had both albums in my head. It's like Red Pill, Blue Pill. So I'm like, you know what? I gotta buy Lupe. So I bought Lupe, popped that in my CD player, got home, jamming out, and honestly, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made Uh in my life.
2: Uh I
1: listened to that album front to back, did not skip a beat literally once, Uh and I was like, man, where has this album been my entire life? Like, it was so unique. Like, like the amount of songs that he has and the amount of detail that he puts into the storytelling. Like, I've always said that Nas, to me, is, the best, is a great storyteller of all time in rap. But Lupe Fiasco is probably like right behind him. And just, like, how intricate he is. Like, he has this one record called He Say, She Say, where it's a letter to an absentee father. And the way it goes is that it's told in the perspective of both the mother and the son. And in the perspective of the mother, it's more of, like, a first-person perspective. But mm-hmm. then from the son, it's more of a second-person perspective. And the son is describing what the mother keeps saying. And then the mother's just talking from her perspective. And, like, he only changes a few words here and there. And in terms of the words he says, he he may replace I or him with she and I. You know what I mean? To, just to reverse mm-hmm. perspectives. Mm-hmm. So just to have, like, that type of detail to, to what you're trying to, to convey in a story, it blew my mind. I'm, like, I'm going to have to re-download food and liquor now, this? man. No but why are we talking God. about this guy enough? Because all I heard back then was like Cassidy and Fabulous and Cameron and no shape to those guys. Like those, those guys have made contributions to rap that can never be forgotten. And they're talented for the most part. But like I just felt like I couldn't relate to them and like I felt like they're just on one beat all the time. But Lupe, like this guy is giving me like, you know, food for thought, so to speak, right? So I was just I just became like the biggest Lupe scan. Ever. And then I think I just you know start talking about it, and then like Justin kind of overheard a conversation he's like you like. Boob? I was like, yeah, I like moving shit. <laughs> so yeah, like that was definitely like you know my favorite artist in high school by far. And then I would say Kanye, and then Nas, but Nas is like an all-time favorite of mine. So he's always yeah. my favorite regardless. But, I think yeah. for
2: me it was Lupe, Common, and definitely Kanye. But I remember mm-hmm. um, when I first met you at Notre Dame, I didn't know that you rapped at all. I just knew you were into hip hop. It wasn't mm-hmm. until I used to go downstairs uh, to the calf and I saw you doing spoken word performances. So I remember mm-hmm. in high school, that was your thing. You were doing the spoken word performances. I think you did at least at least two or three when I was there. Um, mm-hmm. What brought you to do that, and how did that come about?
1: Yeah, so, you know, that brought me to um, when I was 14. This is, like, I think I was in, like, the ninth grade at that time, right? So, like, poetry, I started becoming yeah. more into hip-hop and, like, just, like, started, like, studying, like, you know a lot of you know people's performances and like how they write and just listen to other people's songs um and just kind of try to figure out like what my style would be and like i've always been one for words like i've always been an avid reader and stuff like that and like i've always been known to like use big words and stuff like that sometimes like, i got made fun of it for it but it is what it is right but um i remember you know just you know writing some rhymes of my own one day um and you know just you know just trying to get an idea of like what my style is like Am I a punchline guy? Am I, am I a storyteller guy? Like, like am I aggressive? Like with my tone and like what like what is my thing? So I just started writing stuff that kind of relates to me or like stuff that I know that I can talk about without somebody questioning like my authenticity or something like that. And then I remember, you know, with the crew of friends that I had, like we all rapped, whatever, right? Like we all found out that we could rap. And like I'd never even thought about rapping, you know, maybe like a year prior. But then after like really getting to hip hop, I'm like, oh, okay, I might there might be something there, you know, I might have something mm-hmm. there. So, you know, it's funny, like me and my friends, like we kind of formed our own little group or whatever, right? like a little rap group, so to speak. And so like, that's kind of how it came about. But what I noticed was like, my style was completely different from their styles. Like their, their style was more, I guess you could say like commercial friendly where mine was a bit more, I do I guess underground would, would be what you would call it or whatever, like mm-hmm. something that wouldn't really appeal to like a mainstream type audience. So like, there was always like the clash of ideas and like I'll kind of have to conform to like what they're doing because it was like the majority, so to speak. So, you know, eventually uh when I moved uh to uh to Brampton or whatever, uh, we weren't really doing the group thing as much. We still did from time to time, but not as much. Um but that gave me time to like write like my own material that I felt like was a bit more indicative of what I, of what I was, what I was going through. So I would say the first time I really dived into spoken for words, so to speak. It's probably when I was 17 and, you know, it just kind of started off as like acapella raps or whatever. But like, I noticed that there was like a change in my, in my style. Like, I felt like I was becoming a bit more fluid and I was becoming a bit more detailed and descriptive while I was writing. It wasn't just like a basic flow pattern or a basic rhyme scheme. Like I was learning to be a bit more technical in my approach at that yeah. point in time. So I think that's how the spoken word stuff came about. And I remember it was grade 12 English class. Like, I think some, like, we always had to, like, someone from the class always had to, like, say, I think, like, say, like, a prayer or something like that. Mr. corner Valley? It, it wasn't, wasn't was was him. It was an okay. English teacher. I can't remember her name. But we always had to, like, say a prayer or something like that or, like, write a prayer, like, our own unique prayer or whatever to get the, the day started, the class started. So I did, like, my own, you know, I, I just had to flex my muscle a little bit. So I was like, okay. I wrote a little little something, something, and then, like, I presented in front of the class, or whatever, and then afterwards everyone was just like, like, oh my god, and we all everyone started clapping, whatever, like you know, black people. So I was kind of feeling
2: myself. No finger for nothing.
1: Yo, dad, you have those, yo, you're a rapper, you're a rapper. I'm like a little bit of that, right? Like and like me at the time, I kind of wanted to keep like a little profile, but like at the same time, I couldn't help but like express myself because that's how I've always been, right? So I kind of started off like that and you know from then on I started writing more stuff like that and I remember in my I was in like grade 12 drama class and like one of my uh classmates told me to say what I said in the English class or whatever and then after I was done that, uh, a drama teacher pulled me aside and, was like, and he was like, yo oh, I'm doing this thing um you know at the end of school where you know people get to present their singing ability and their and their talents or what have you I would really love if you could perform your spoken word piece at this, at this little event. So it was like a month away or whatever, and it was like during the holiday season, so I performed it, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, you're so good. Da-da-da-da. Even one of the vice principals was like, oh, honey, that was so amazing. You so I know who amazing.
2: you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, just, just continue all the story. I know who you're talking about. I know exactly who you to talking so
1: about. so what you do. Oh my gosh! Please, I gotta, yeah, oh, what you do Oh my <laughs> gosh! I, I want to hear more from you. It was so sweet. So <sighs> like stuff like that, it gave me like the confidence to, to keep doing to spoken word. And then like the and like the rap aspect was still there. Like I was still, you know, writing and recording songs for my friends in Mississauga. And it wasn't like really like original songs. Like we were just taking beats from like popular songs that we knew and we were just kind of rapping and yeah. that's kind of like yeah. how it started. Even even like battle rap stuff. I was even into the battle rap stuff as well. Like just once I kind of got like a feel for what, what my style was or like what styles I could do, I was doing that as well. I had a few rap battles when I was at like all well, I had a few rap battles when I was at ND or whatever. I remember it wasn't that. like my number one strong suit, but it was a little it was a little something that I had within the arsenal. But like, you know, it was fun to explore that as well because that, that aspect of rap is fun.
2: That was a whole era at ND. People don't understand, man. Like back in the day in Brampton at that time, I remember there was like those Eric Flow child. There was rappers here and there, but I remember mm-hmm. we had this community where we just used to go onto the school to battle each other. Mm-hmm. At our school, it was like it was you. There was there was Sniff, who's now Jail, mm-hmm. and then I think at Fletcher's, I think it was Fletcher's or Camping, one of the two schools. They had uh, Tech Rhymes, is now Toby. You want to say Toby? Like, it was a whole thing. Yeah, it was a whole thing, man. That was yeah. And I remember I remember change promotions. I remember change promotions. Um, Kofi was definitely holding that down for everybody in Brampton. I remember you performed there a few times. How did that go?
1: Yeah, that, that was really good as well. You know, uh, like real quick before I jump into that, just to kind of cap off the spoken word aspect. I remember um, there was a Black History thing that we were doing. And it was back in 07. Yes. Yeah. It, it just came to my mind, actually. And, you know, that, that was like, the first time where I really got to show off my spoken word you know, and rapping abilities to like the entire student body because around that time, that's when I used to go to. I actually used to go to Mr. Carnivale's class just for fun because I had a spare period at that time. So, and I really wanted to be in this class, but for whatever reason, my guidance counselor wouldn't let me. I thought it was weird, even though Carnivale wanted to be in this class, but that's that's whatever. But anyway, it's like I remember sharing it for the entire student like body. Notre we Dame had to share. perform it. We had to perform it four times, and I remember like after that day was done. I just remember, like everyone in the school, kind of like looking at me different. Like, not that they didn't like me or anything like that. They probably just thought, like, okay, whatever, another black guy in school, whatever. But then after that, people's perceptions of me like start to kind of change up, like for the better, of course. And like, man, you're really talented, man. I didn't know like, you had so much depth da, 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 and all that stuff. And, and it felt cool to get like that recognition for something that, that you love doing, right? And so I thought that was, that was really cool. Um And now, and then, yeah, like what you're asking about change promotions, that came about when I was in college, actually, like that college university period. Um, and essentially, what happened was, um, I, I think it was like, through, through Facebook or something like that, because, you know, mm-hmm. through Facebook, you start to meet different connections outside of high school, and maybe even outside of college as well, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I made a connection with him. And we had some mutual friends in common. And especially within the Ghanaian community, from what I've noticed growing up, if you know, one person, you're, you're gonna have like at least three mutual friends. Like it's just a close knit community for, for whatever yep. reason, right? And then you can say about any other ethnic community as well. So I think he knew some friends that I had in Juville that I knew from like when I grew up, like when I was like 11, 12 years old, right? Like stuff like that. So I guess, you know, people may have told him about me or I may have posted a video of me rapping or whatever the case may be, this is around when me and you were doing DJ TV so I don't know, I, I guess like somehow I got in touch with him and he was saying how, you know, I should send him some stuff and like they'll evaluate it and see, you know, if um, I can perform it. So basically I sent this online material, they liked it and uh, they told me to meet them at like a, uh, like a restaurant where they would be hosting like the, uh, the uh, promotion or not. The, well, yeah, the promotion. Yeah. They are hosting the promotion or whatever. So basically the whole thing was like, they give you tickets you sell the tickets and you take half the profit and they take the other half of the profit. Well, okay. Cool. I get paid. Dope. Cause before then it's just like, yeah, promote the show. You don't get paid at all, but Hey, exposure. Right. And like, that's one thing I hate about the, the promotion community for We're
2: talking about, um, change promotions.
1: Yeah. Change promotions. Yeah. So okay, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of like what I was saying before. So basically, um, I got in touch with them through social media, most likely through Facebook. Um, and then basically got in touch with them and they, they liked what I had. So I went, went to meet up with them at the, at the uh, venue that they're gonna ha- have a performance at. And they basically established a thing where, you know, you sell these amount of tickets and we split the profit, So you get half the profit you get, and we get the other half. But okay, that's fair, I'm with it. Because other, other uh, promotional groups around the city around that time, it's like, if you are an up and coming artist or you're just trying to get your name known or whatever, it's like, they want you to promote the show and you don't get paid at all. And they're not doing their job as a promoter. Like they think just because they have the venue that we got to do the rest of the work, but that's a story in and of itself. Uh, so this, this is cool. The fact that they're actually paying the artists depending on how many people they're able to get to the venue, which, you know, I can dig, I can dig that. So pretty much um, that happened right around the time. Like I think I had graduated Sheridan. Um, and then before that, like I was gonna go to York like the next year. Uh, so i was kind of in that in between period where and that's where i was like really really like working on, on music around that time as well uh but yeah i did some shows with them um they're like they were really fun uh had some people come out to that and then even before change promotions uh while i was in school um i was definitely trying to get my name out around, around the city um so i used to perform, perform at venues like whether they're downtown uh performing at a couple I shows remember those
2: days balada
1: yeah um yeah man like there's a, there's a whole bunch of places I performed you know within the GTA a couple of events as well which is really fun you know because like again like you're discovering like what your passions are and you want to share them with other people as well so that was a really fun time for me and I'd come out with a with a project like right before school ended I remember that and like I was working on that project for like maybe like a year or something like that and then like i dropped it like right before school ended and like i got Mm -hmm. to circulate and even like i got to perform at a couple like house parties at the student union like people from the student union were promoting Mm -hmm. like like, not school related but they're just like yo like we want you to perform at this house party thing that we're doing i bet and it was funny because the next day or like the the following week whatever because those are on the friday following week you go back to school whatever and they'd be like, "Yo, you're that guy that was performing on, on Friday, right, at the house party?" I was like, "Yeah, that was me." So and
2: let me like, let me, like, let, that's me that's right, the, right, let me set this you know. let me set the stage for this. So okay. we were all we were all in college, and I'm gonna step back into college in a second, but I just really want to get into the rapper DM Cool. But we're all in college. We're up in Oakville. We're just Brampton kids. He was performing at house parties to house parties. It was like something you would see on a Netflix little teen special, but it was yeah. nice. Like we go perform. People are people are dancing. I was the underground driver format, and I remember. There was some hits going around, so there was Saga Girls. Saga Girls was a hit. Oh, I've heard that. It was cool. you <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, Justin. Justin, Justin was, sent it, like played it for me, or sent it to me, it was, and I've heard that. Oh I've actually God. heard that.
2: The best, the most iconic line is "Girls from Scarborough live kind of far, though." So <laughs> I want a Saga Girl. The bad thing he wasn't—he wasn't traveling for that. There was, there was those cool points which was a good song. And then there was Passport. And I remember used to perform these songs at the Sheridan college jams. We used to go to other colleges. We used to go to house parties. It was really a movement back then. Talk about that. Yeah,
1: man. Nah, nah. Thanks for opening that up. Nah, it was really fun because like those types of songs, I never would have been able to make at age 15. It was like, I wasn't really that confident in myself, you know, because like a lot of those things, a lot of those records kind of have to do with like, you know, relationships and like, you know, in courtship and like how you, you know, how you present yourself towards the opposite sex or even the same sex, depending on what your situation is as well. But like just, you know, flirting and seduction and stuff like that. I yeah. wouldn't have been able to do that age fifteen or 16 because like, even though I had, you know, a couple girlfriends here and there, I wasn't that so, I was so boisterous. I wasn't so overt about it you know what i mean I, I didn't i wasn't i wasn't audacious enough to make those sets of records back then <laughs> but having that experience being in college and and you know just you know going through a whole phase, let's just call it what it is it's like you kind of like you kind of like basically like build up a little bit of a confidence, a little bit of a swagger if you will and so you know that's how those records came about you know with, with saga girls in particular uh it's so funny that he showed you that record um <laughs> it's uh the, the original record came from an artist named Charles Hamilton he, and his original record was called Brooklyn Girls and okay. this is around the time where you know it was really popular to take a popular record and then put your own spin on it. you know that's mm-hmm. what a lot of rappers a lot of up-and-coming rappers are doing back then and that would be the equivalent of like a singer doing a cover to a record or something right that, that's a rapper version of a cover so to speak so I was like I really like this beat I'm digging it I'm like let me make a record about like the GTA or something like that right because like I always send these records about Brooklyn or Compton and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, where, where's the Toronto record at, right? <laughs> and yet, where's the Saga record at? Like, like that's, where, that's where, you know, I've called home for so many years. And I just wanted to find like a creative way to like kind of bring like, you know, aspects of the GTA into it. So like, that's how that kind of came about. I sent it to Justin, when, once it was done being recorded. This guy calls me up and he's like, yo, you ain't shit, you ain't shit. I love this record, but you ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I showed it to Dell at the time. I, I think me and Dell, we had just met around this time, whatever. And he's like, "Yo, this record's fire! It's fire! Yo, we gotta sell tickets, running!" And like, yeah. this is like during like, the MySpace era too. Like, I during the MySpace era, so like, I was like trying to spread that shit as far as I could. And like, I had like a few people who I didn't meet. They, they kind of heard it or whatever. And like, they, I knew them from like social media. It's like, dude, this record's so sick! Da-da-da-da-da, whatever. And like, I just created like my own YouTube page after that just to kind of like you know help spread like. My music out there and stuff like that. I even had I even had a sound click page. Anybody remember SoundClick? Yeah. That was like before SoundClick. I remember actually. that. I had one of those. But anyways, like that's how that record came about. And then there's Cool Points and there was Passport. Like those are those two records are original records actually. So that was produced uh by an artist by the name of Neo Tempest. So shout out to yeah. Neo Tempest actually. Anime um, He was he was actually the first producer producer that I ever worked with. Um, and like someone that I was actually like, someone that I am very close with and what have you, and someone that like could actually like understand like the sound and the vibe that I was bringing. He was working with another artist by the name of Ricky Rude and like they had a duo called the Anime Voice. I met them when I was in Oakville. So like this this is what, they kind of inspired me to kind of like do my own thing because like they were making records and sounds that was very different from what everyone else was doing. They were talking about anime and comic books and all that stuff. I'm like, yo, I gotta rock with these guys, man. Like these guys, like they're, like they're, I can align with them basically. So the more I talked to Tempest, the more I was like, "Yo, like I'm looking for this type of sound. This is what I kind of want to do." And uh, I just want, I just want something smooth and melodic to go with the cool persona, basically, right? Where it's cool means so much more, but like you know, just for that aspect, just on the surface level. So you know, cool points again. It's it's a, it's a record about you know, you know, flirtation and seduction and stuff like that. Like nothing too overt, but like enough to be like, "Yo, this guy's audacious as shit." Like like mm. who do you think he is? Kind of thing, right? And so that, that's kind of how that record came about. But a lot of people were rocked to it. Guys were rocking with it. Girls were rocking to it. I was kind of big enough women who were kind of, like, independent and had their own shit. Well, I was like, yo, that's my shit. That's a cool point for me, like, and all that stuff. And so, and then Passport is just, like, your braggadocious, you know, let me see how many metaphors metaphors, and punch punchlines I can flip type of records. But, like, it had somewhat of a commercial sound to it. So that's what made me feel confident about performing that record, because it's that to underground that people, for people that will go over the heads, but it just kind of has like that sound that people just kind of bop to, if anything, and mm. if they want to go back to it later, then they'd be like, oh, oh, that's a nice line right there. Oh, that's a bar. ooh, you know what I mean? So it was like one of those records. So whenever I was making my rounds, those would be like the typical few, typical few records I would do. And like, it was just like, again, another extension of my personality coming into the music.
2: Man, let's 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 bring it back a little bit because that was a time when we were really in the underground hip-hop scene, but I know we're going to return there, so let's bring it back. Let's right. bring it back to the the original Sheridan College days because that was when it kind of all started. Like, right. like you said, it was me, you, there was Ricky, there was Tempest, It was Anime Boys. There was a bunch of people that were kind of doing their own thing and had their beginning at that time. Del Hartley as well. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time, uh, you were in journalism broadcasting at Sheridan, mm-hmm. and we decided to start DJ TV. Do you remember how DJ TV came about?
1: Yeah, so, oh, man, it's funny, because, like, I was watching a couple of videos back in the day, actually. <clears throat> so, DJ TV, I think it, it's funny, because, like, whenever I talk about DJ TV to, like, other people, it's like, I always tell people, it started off with the cell phone. I remember I got like
2: a Wait, brand you guys cell. recorded
0: what? DJ TV on a cell
1: phone?
2: Yes. Yep, it was yes. it was Andrew's cell Absolutely. phone. Absolutely. Andrew's cell phone, yep.
1: No, no, it was, my cell phone. it was my so cell phone. It, the, it was my cell
2: phone. Yeah. It was, it so was ever- just us ranting, but go on. Go on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so like, I think like it was like
2: 240 p at best before oh. what that's brutal. It was, it was so choppy.
1: It was uh, like, you watch it now, you're like, ew, what the hell This is like This there? is
2: 2008. Like, this is
0: Yeah, bad. but back then, exactly. that must have been amazing for you guys to come up with this concept and be recording it. So that's pretty cool
1: still. Right? So, like, it was, it was, it was almost like fluke. It was almost like fluke if you think about it. But nothing's really fluke if it takes off. But yeah. essentially how it happened was I just got a new cell phone, like, maybe, like, a month in or whatever. And then, I don't know, maybe, like, one day we were just kind of clowning around and, like, we were just talking about Stuff that really like pisses us off, whatever. So I started recording him. And then we're just like I, we're watching the video back, like, yo, this is some this is some funny shit you're saying. So like, hold on, like, let, let's do that again, but like let, let's both like say some shit, whatever, right? So like he would hold the phone, I would say some shit, whatever. I I intro him, like, yo, it's your man, DM cool, that's my man Jay, da da, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like we started just start talking about random shit, whatever. And then we started doing it often. I was posting the videos on Facebook, and people were commenting and they were liking it. So I'm like it was only, like, two episodes that we did so far, but people yeah. were, like, really engaging. Them. I'm like, yo, let's, let's keep doing this. Let's make this a thing. So we started doing more and more videos. And then one of our friends was like, yo, if you guys had, like, a better camera, like, you would get so much more eyes on this. So I think around this time, we had met Andrew. Again, our man Drew Breezy, Um, And I was in journalism broadcast, like J- Justin was saying. So we had laptops that were assigned to us. So... Over time, we started recording our episodes with the with the MacBook laptops, and the camera on there was really good. Like as long as you had natural light, yeah. like, the picture came out really good. So we started shooting it on those, and we it became a bit more more polished and more more condensed. And um, <clears throat> pardon me. And I think after a while, what happened after a while is that like we created like a, a Facebook group for it because it started getting a bit more traction. And then also um, on top of that we started doing like viewers, like viewer request episodes. Like what do yep. you want to see? What do you want us to talk about? Because we had like a ton of people post their comments. People would message in. In the, like the comment section and all that stuff. And
2: to be honest, I didn't know it was big. Cause it was, it was like, it was like a college radio thing. Cool. I knew it was big when we walked through school. Like the next day people are like, yo, I saw your video. Then I was like, what? Yeah. Like it was, it was a thing. It, it, it was a thing like on, on our campus. It was solid it was a thing on
1: Definitely. our <laughs> like it was, it was funny like one of our one of our friends christina she's like yo mr sheridan mr sheridan whatever right because like she would always see me just like shooting you know episodes like me justin and andrew shooting episodes and stuff like that and so like yeah it just became a thing like, even people in my class knew about it and they were like bigging me up or whatever it's like oh my gosh, dj tv like you guys gotta be so big oh my god well you guys have your own video thing whatever right and so, like, yeah, like, the first, I guess the first season of it, so to speak, is, like, we did it mostly on our, on, on the MacBook uh, laptop. And then, like, the first early episodes were on the cell phone, and then we kind of ditched that early because that was more of, like, a, you could call that a pilot, so to speak. That was more of a pilot, right? But people liked it enough, so I'm like, okay, like, let's yeah. increase the, the footage and the audio and, like, and the production value of it. And then one of my boys, or one of our boys, actually, our boy Zane, uh, he, he created, like, a logo for us. So I'm like, okay, yeah. dope, cool. Like, so we have people who are, like, really rocking with us. And it was cool for me in particular because, like, I'm doing my journalism broadcasting, you know, in class and what have you. I'm doing DJ TV, you know, that could be part of my portfolio you know, going forward. And I'm also doing the music thing. The music thing. So I, I got, like, all these different oh, things man. going for myself where, like, I'm man. really getting to express my creativity and stuff like that, which is really big for me because I'm big on creativity. That's a big part of my personality. And so, you know, second season comes around, which is, like, the 0910 9 10 school year, and Drew uh, buys a camera. And so this camera is like a lot more sharp now. We're talking like 480p at this point, right? Yeah. So we start doing DJ TV episodes. And not only that, but I create a YouTube page for both DJ TV and just my music stuff. So now I'm like, okay, like we've got Facebook. We have our core audience. Let's expand that. Let's let's go to YouTube, right? Let's really be a part of this YouTube community now. So we do the YouTube episodes. And like our, our episodes this time, they're a bit more focused. And I'm editing the episodes now. I'm making cuts here and there where I need to, sure. and like then like the the YouTube you know community starts kind of getting involved, whatever. And then when we start doing a bit more like topical related videos, that's when like, I started, like the numbers go up, or whatever, right?
2: Yeah. Like it... versus big, we had yeah. special guests on. Mm-hmm. It was we it was really good. It was yeah. for that time period. I remember used to look at Square One and somebody came to me in the mall. And they're like. Aren't you the guy from YouTube? And I was like, yeah, I was really <laughs> big at that point in time. Yeah. But there, there was nobody really on YouTube at that time. There was nothing. Like, I'm pretty Wait, sure the is this? Forever was on there, and this is like two thousand nine,
1: two thousand ten.
0: Also, this yeah, is in the early like, stages of when YouTubers were starting their careers up before. At, like, and, this and is like, actually. Every, yeah, this is around the time before AdSense is even a thing.
2: Exactly, yeah. and before and, and, you like, could get paid that had YouTube. Everyone that had YouTube was just on a webcam at their house yeah. talking. Like, that was it. So it was really, like, it was big. It was big. I, I think um, Foyal Entertainment was just coming out because I remember I caught a video that they had or we commented on it or something. But it was really big, man. It was really big. I would say um, I would say one of our biggest moments was because you were in journalism broadcasting, you got to go on a trip to the CBC and, <clears throat> you know, you got to represent for DJ TV. So you, you could tell them about that. I remember that.
1: Man. That shit was huge. That shit was huge. That, oh my God. Like even, even thinking about it now, it gives me goosebumps a little bit because I knew about George Strombolopoulos. Wasn't like a big, big fan, but like, when I saw the face, I'm like, I know that. Like, I know who he is. Like he's yeah. a big deal in Canada. grew you know, up on him. him. Yeah, he is. Up on him. <laughs> he's like one of the biggest faces in pop culture in Canada. Like, this guy started off as a VJ in much music and then he got his own show where he's interviewing the best of the best in Canadian and, Amer- and, and American talent as well. And I'm like, man, like we're gonna go to CBC studios. Like, this is crazy. Like, like I'm like some 20 year old kid in, in journalism school and going on a field trip to CBC. Like, th- like this You're doesn't excited. happen often. Oh, All mad excited. So I'm thinking, to myself, like, I step into the studio, I'm like, man, I can see myself doing this one day. Like this is it, right? And so we're watching a show. We're part of the live studio audience and afterwards like we got to stay and hang out with him for a bit because one of our teachers works at cbc as well as a producer mm-hmm. so we got to ask him questions and all that and so i just kind of humbly went up to him and was like hey uh mr George, mr mr it's like dude just call me strombo it's cool man don't even worry about it like, all right strombo listen like you see, you see i'm a journalism student i got my own show going on it's a little web show it's nothing big or anything like that it's just a little start where it's like cool. we talked about I was like we talk about music, we talk about sports, like we talk about like just the student body life, whatever. And he's like, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, it's good to get started. I was like, yeah, yeah. So I was like, so I was wondering if I could get like a shout out from you or something like that. He's like, how about we just do an interview right here, right now? I'm like, like, really? He's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, That's okay, cool. cool. So I got one of my classmates to hold the camera whatever. And I, and I remember watching this the other day, actually. I was like, I was like, yo, it's a boy, you're cool, you know? And i went wet my mouth. That's go. slimy. I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I think it's because so you awesome.
0: were overly excited. <laughs> you I were was. overly excited. So you were just like, yes, I get I, to do this. Uh, also, that's actually really I cool could, that he's like, let's do an interview right now. Like that was kind of, that's I cool. Was-
1: I was fanboying so hard. I didn't realize it. Like, I thought I was playing cool by doing all of this Whatever I was like, really? I was like, dude, like the 32-year-old me right now would never do something like that. You know what I mean? But like, Uh, I guess me being 20 years old and just being very wide-eyed and what have you, I'm just like, man, like, not a lot of people get the opportunity to do that, right? Exactly. And so, you know, it was just fun doing the video. And again, it was on my cell phone, so very crappy footage. But, you know, it's something that, like, I cherish for the rest of my life because it's like that... You know, first of all, it was my first celebrity interview. Like, Let's keep it 100. And, you know, like having that, that plug, you know, kind of grew the DJ TV brand to a certain extent. Because it's like, we, we just started off as two college kids just, you know, ranting about random shit. And then months later, I'm interviewing George, John, George Strombolopoulos for the brand. You know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah. okay, now I know I, ha- I, I have at the very least the potential. To do something like this going forward so i thought that was a really fun moment for me and yeah man, if i ever get to meet this guy in person again I, i'm just gonna give him like, a huge thank you for you know helping me discover like what one of my creative passions were so yeah that was a huge moment for me huge
2: no that was that was huge i remember i remember when me and andrew saw the video we were like hyping up in a pub that was huge man those, those <laughs> are good days man those are good days yeah and then at that point in time we we had the cool click now talk about it how did this come together the acronym how did how did you put it together
1: yeah man so the cool click yes so first foremost, the name came from um my rap name actually so my rap name as you guys know by now is dm cool it's also just like my name for whenever i do cool radio and it's just part of the brand basically and this is around the time when i was trying to like establish like a name for myself just like as as, as as a recording artist or what have you so way back in the day anyone who knew me in saga growing up in saga my original rap name was demand with the master plan that was my original rap name and like it was very like wu-tang inspired because like I'm, yeah i always thought everyone in wu-tang had like, these cool names like like Red kwan the chef or the jizz the genius or ghost face kill i wanted something like that so my name was demand with the master plan right because like i guess because like I was always, like, the strategist in the group, whatever. I was like, we should do this, do that, and do that, whatever, right? So that's how the master plan thing came about, right? And I thought demand was cool, because, like, it's, like, being first off with my first two initials, whatever, right? So that's how I came about. And then I kind of grew out of that, and, like, that was more about, you know, me being a part of a group, and, like, this is now me coming to my own. So I need something that, that, that helps me speak to who I am, what I am, and, like, what I'm about. So that's how GM Cool came about, because, like, Lupe Fiasco's The Cool, for example, like, I listened to, like, all the content they had on that album as well as on Food and & Liquor, and he likes a lot of the same things that I like, you know, anime and, and, and sneakers and stuff like that. And it's just, like, we're, 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 we're taught to think that a lot of things are monolithic, you know, and, and the term cool, for example, is supposed to be monolithic. It's like, if you dress like this, you're cool. If you do this, you're cool. Whatever, whatever. But I feel like being cool is is being interested in something, whether the mass of people like it or not, and just owning it. So if you're into like anything that may seem out of the ordinary, but you own that shit, I think that's cool. I think that's the coolest thing you could ever do. I'm not trying to sound like some after school PSA, whatever, but like (laughs) just being able to own and take agency of whatever you believe in whatever you find to be ideal and true to who you are, and you're not apologetic about it, and you're not hiding it from the world, you're expressing it in the way you, you see fit. I think that's the dopest shit in the world. So that's kind of what inspired me to that's true. have the word cool in front of me, and it's like DM cool. And I always just thought it had like a nice ring to it because I have like somewhat of a, like a laid back personality and like the music that I did for the most part was very somewhat melodic whatever, it had like a very chill vibe to it. So I felt like it kind of spoke to me like as a person, as an artist. And then the way Cool Click came about one day i was just like man like i really want to expand on on this cool thing like it could be like a like a brand for me maybe if it's not for music maybe for something else maybe for dj tv maybe for if i do eventually do tv to be something right it's gotta be something that people can like really relate to and rally behind so that's how i was just thinking about like different things that it could mean or whatever right and like the first word that came to my head was create and i'm like okay like what can i you know make out of that like what, what can i piece together? Someone creating am creating this, creating one, this, and I'm like, hmm. So the first thing that came to mind was creating one's own legacy. And I'm like, okay, that's more of like a very specific thing to one person. But like, I want it to be something that everyone can get behind, right? Like, I want it to be like a, like a unity thing kind of thing. So that's why I came up with creating our own legacies. I'm like, that's it. That's the one. And as soon as I came up with it, I called this guy right here. I called it Jay. I'm like, yo, dog, we're cool mean something now and we're, we're <laughs> and i have something right here i like first of all me you drew we're the cool click all right we're the cool click and the word cool means something it stands to something. it's an acronym creating our own legacies it's like i love it i love it let's do it we're the cool click we're the cool click <laughs> so that's how that came about so it just became an acronym for life basically and you know it's something that anyone can relate to because i feel like when we're brought into this world, we're trying to discover, like, what our paths are and, like, what we want to do with our lives and how we want to be remembered and stuff like that. And so in order to do that, like, you you got to create your own path. You got to have, like, a legacy that you want to leave behind and what have you. So, like, I feel like so many people can relate to that no matter what field of life they're in. So that's what made me, you know, feel inspired to call it the cool click basically, and just to call it creating our own legacy. So that's how that came about.
2: No, oh, I definitely feel that. And Yo, we got a lot of topics here. There's a lot of life here. There's a lot of <laughs> life here. But, okay, let me, let me jump into the next one I wanted to talk about. Sure. Now, I wanted to talk about, as you said, you were a part of the journalism broadcasting program. Um, as I remember, you were interning at uh, Rogers TV. Uh, you, you were covering all the local games in Peel. And yep. you were covering what was happening in Peel. And at the same time, you were starting, I guess you could say, the beginning of what Cool Radio is now, but the very mm. beginning of it, which was Let That Ish Breathe. Can you talk about both of those okay. things?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, man, you going into the vault with this shit, man. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. I'm feeling like right here. now. So, how that came about was this. So, <clears throat> by that time, I graduated Journalism Broadcast. So, did everything that I needed to do in that program. I was satisfied. I was good with it. And I was trying to figure out you know, what I wanted to do next. Like, do I, do I want to jump right right into school after this? Do I want to work on music? Do I want to, like, get an internship somewhere? Like, how do I want to go about this? So me graduating was no biggie. Like, I knew I was going to graduate. Like, boom. Like, I had, I had that in the bag. Um, I think one of the biggest things I had to go out and find was an internship, right? Just to get, like, at least, like, one more credit or whatever. So that came in the form of Rogers TV. So I applied for that, and, like, I got that, like, Damn near on the spot. Like what I really wanted to get was the score at the time because like that was a, a TV network that, that I watched on the regular. I really wanted that, but I think they were full at the time. I'm like all right, cool, no biggie. So I got Rogers TV. So Rogers TV, you know, it let me apply the skills that I had learned at Sheridan and into 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 that stuff. And I think at the end of my internship, I was actually able to go on camera. Like I, I did like a couple of like um, uh, streeter interviews. Streeter interviews is yeah. when like you have the mic in your hand. And you're just asking people a bunch of questions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And you're just going off to random people, just doing that stuff. Right. So I actually, I was actually able to go out on the field for like my last two assignments for Rogers TV during my internship. So before doing that, I was also doing like voiceover work and, and reviewing scripts and stuff like that. <laughs> Pardon me. And so around that time, actually, like the same time that I was doing that, um, I was thinking about doing radio. And one of my friends had recommended it to me. He's like, "Oh, you should really try radio. Like, you have a really strong voice, whatever." So, one of my friends who's also a DJ at CFRE, I hit him up, and I was asking about any positions that they have at the radio station. And, and they're all, and they're like, "Yeah, like, um, they're always looking for positions, whatever. They're always looking for hosts who have their own ideas and what have them." Okay, cool. So I'm gonna keep that in the back pocket. So fast forward, um, once I'm done my internship over at Rogers TV. Uh, my producer at the time, Ryan, Ryan Dunn, shout out to Ryan Dunn. um, He was like, "Um, yeah, man, you did really good. And, you know, I'd, I'd really love to have you here, volunteer here for as many days as you wanted. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I chose to volunteer every Wednesday, like in the middle of the week. So I came in every Wednesday. And then right when I was doing that is when I started doing the radio show as well. So the radio show I did on Tuesday mornings. I think it was like around like 11 or 1130 in the morning, something like that and um let that is read came about and that was basically the radio version of dj tv so it'd be similar topics that we would talk about on dj tv but just the radio version and i think this is before podcasting became a thing like podcasting yep. wasn't really widespread mm-hmm. just yet so the fact that i was telling people that i had my own radio show like, i kind of felt like i uh, was big time i was like whoa you got your own radio show like because like, i didn't know a whole lot of people that were doing radio shows right there's only a few people and the people who were doing radio shows were, were mainly like music djs so they would play like your favorite records and stuff like that more on the college level but like no one's really sitting down and having discussions about this now and the third so to speak so i figured i could fill in that void so that's that's how let that let that is breathe came about and i had a few guests here and there uh on let that is breathe. and then while i was doing that i was still doing uh rogers tv and i think by this time now um After I had done, like, some some reporting, like, on on the field and as well as doing, like, voiceover work for, like, highlight scripts and stuff like that, I think, like, a year later, uh, Ryan wanted me to audition for one of the co-anchor spots that they were having for their other shows. Uh, So, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I can definitely do this. So, I I did the audition or whatever. And then maybe, like, a week later, he asked me if I wanted the the, the gig. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Shit, yeah. So, basically... That's so basically, awesome. um, I just became a co-host of one of uh, one of their most popular networks on the entire on the entire network. It was called Rops of Sports, and it basically covered all the local sports uh, events that are happening within Peel, so uh, Saga, Branson, Malton, and we would do like like high school related stuff, basically. So high school basketball, high school hockey, high school baseball, just anything high school sports related, we did that. And we were very we were very social with our community. So, we had like a lot of social media pages that we had encouraged people to like get active with and stuff like that. And it got to the point where I'd just be on the street one day and people would be recognized me, like, yo, you're the guy Rogers, right? And like, I'd be I'd, at my job, you know, and people be like, yo, I saw you on Rogers, yo, know, big up, big up. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so, like, it was, it was cool doing that. And then it was still cool, you know, doing the radio show as well because like, now I have like two gigs. It's like, okay, I, I'm my own radio host and I'm also a host of. A local television conglomerate that's part of a bigger conglomerate. Like that's, and I'm, I'm kind of like feeling myself, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like I'm like really building up confidence. And then while I'm still doing that, I'm still doing music as well. So like, I kind of have like my arms like stretched out like really wide, so to speak. But I didn't get exhausted or or anything like that because like I'm doing things that like I feel passionate about. So like that was really cool for me to like really experience those things at that time. And yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it back for any moment because like I, I had a blast during those
2: times. I remember those days, man. Okay, okay. Before we get into cool radio, because I know that that's going to be the ending right here, I want to talk about, um, and you mentioned it right at the beginning. I remember during this time, the score had drafted. Mm-hmm. And I remember you were on Drafted. Yeah. For two seasons. Yeah. Uh, so can you, can you talk about the experience you had on Drafted, how you got on Drafted? <laughs> I remember going around with you and filming the videos. I remember all of that. Yeah. So let's get at that.
1: Okay, so Drafted was, like, a life-changing, like, eye-opening experience for me. Because this is when I knew that I could do this shit. Like, because I'm thinking, this is a network that I've been watching ever since I was 13 years old. And this is also a network that is doing a national competition. And out of thousands of people who auditioned for it, I was one of the few people that they selected as finalists. At that point, I was like, okay... Like, this is not an accident. Like, I know I can do this now. You know what I mean? So here's how it came about. I remember back in 2011, I want to say. 2011 is when I first auditioned, but I wasn't actually at the live audition. Uh, I think I just sent in a submission tape. And it was kind of last minute as well, because like, I didn't really know if I wanted to do it or not. Because like, I know they're, I know because it's a sports network, they want people to be well-versed in all sports. Me, I'm just mostly a basketball fanatic. Everything else... I kind of like watch and play by ear, so to speak. I'm more interested in the stories behind some of the sports rather than the actual st- 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 sorry, statistical breakdowns, so to speak. So that's why it was kind of last minute. I'm like, all right, if I, if I send this in and they and they select me or if I get a call back, cool. If I don't, all good. Do so that didn't happen. I'm like, all right, cool. No biggie. So a year later, they're doing the competition again. And I remember my sister was like, yo, you should audition for that. You should audition for that. So I'm like, all right, let me try this shit out. So... Just on a whim, I went downtown to Toronto. Um, I don't think I was doing anything else that day. It was a Sunday afternoon. Went downtown to Toronto that day. I'm like, you know, what? I'm gonna try this shit out, whatever. And I went. I think I waited for like an hour, maybe two hours at most. I think I was one of the last people to go that day. Didn't mind. I didn't mind. And so they called my name up, and I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So they're like oh tell me what your name is where you're from and why you want to be drafted I'm like, okay well my name is daniel i'm i think i was 22 at the time 22 or 23 23 i think i was 23 i'm like my name is daniel i'm 23 um and i want to do this because you know like i'm very passionate about this you know i've i studied this in school I, i'm a student at sheridan for journalism broadcast i've been watching the score ever since i was 13 years old man like I'm really big on basketball especially i used to watch the nba on nbc when i was a kid you know the whole damn it damn it damn it. like i'm just telling to the whole rundown yeah. of like, what makes me you know passionate about sports what have you and just talking about how i grew up watching cabbie i grew up watching tim mccallum sarah and all those other names and you know just really was really like into you know what i was talking about and then you know i think i was wearing like this outfit it was, it was like green and white outfits i had like a little green up green zip up jacket or whatever and i had like a lrg t-shirt with like a green logo and then the the producer guy he was like yeah i noticed noticing like a theme going on he got like a lot of green going on or whatever and, and like i just kind of want to make myself stand out a little bit whatever um and so he asked me to talk about anything i wanted to talk about so i talked about lebron james and how you know him going to miami was a big mistake and all that stuff so I went on like a big like 7 minute rant or whatever right mind you the time limit was 2 minutes it was 2 minutes I, I went off for, I went off for 7 minutes but the thing is they didn't cut me off they let me keep going I just kept on going and going like it felt like I was on again it felt like I was on DJ TV it felt like I was on let that is breathe or whatever mm. so I just kept on going and going or whatever right and afterwards after they're done they're like okay wow that was that was a lot okay cool all right so yeah we're going to You know, we're going to, you know, contact you um, if we like what we see. Uh, But other than that, you know, thanks for coming out. And, yeah, um, you may hear from us. All right, cool. Thank you. So I walked away knowing that I gave it my all. Mm. And then maybe like a week later, I get an email from them. I'm like, what? So I open the email. And it's like, congratulations. We're happy to inform you that you've been selected as one of the top 24 finalists for drafting. Please keep this confidential. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh god, oh my god, oh like I had to read that email like 10 times over just to make sure I wasn't punking myself. Like, oh shit, oh shit. Like, yo, I wanted to call this guy so bad. I wanted to call Jason so bad, am like no, nah, I gotta keep on the low. I can't tell Noah, I gotta keep the shit on the low. Only person I told was my dad. That was it. That was it. And then I think I told him like the day after they announced it on television or whatever. And that's when I told him, that's when I told everybody.
0: Ellie,
1: yo, we out of here. We out of here. Son. We out of here. yeah, son, we out of here. That's an awesome oh, feeling. Like, like we were a hype. Like we were so hype. And then, like the whole thing was, you got to get votes. You got to get votes, whatever. Right? I'm like, okay, cool. So, how are we gonna do this? Like, how, like what are we gonna do? So, what we did was, we went around the DTA, and we were campaigning for me, right? Like, so we went in Oakville, we went in Brampton, we went to Saga, hell. We took a road trip with Del Hartley. We went to Ottawa, and we were campaigning over there as well.
2: Yeah. And we were yep. just like, recording I videos and everything
1: like that. Like, shit yep. was lit. Like, we were campaigning the hell out of this. I remember um, my boy, Chris Jackson. Shout out to Chris Jackson. Um, he was doing this event at the time called The Big Ticket, where he would get, like, artists from the city to perform, and it was kind of like a networking event and what have you. So mm-hmm. I remember around that time, he got me uh, to come up on stage, whatever, to, to promote, you know, my voting campaign for drafted. So I'm like, okay, dope. So like I'm just saying, yo, what's good, everyone? My name is Daniel. I also go by DM cool. I'm I'm doing this thing called drafted, where I where I like I'm a finalist. So I'm gonna be hosting like a sports thing. And you, know, if you get y'all to vote for me, that would be dope. And I was like, Yeah, 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 yeah. Blah, 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 blah. I was like, I was like, damn, man, like this is you know, this is really for real, for real happening, right? And this is at a time where I had no job at this time. Um, I I kind of went through like a breakup period as well. So like Everything I did was about drafting. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about nothing. Like, even, even music kind of took a bit of a step back as well. It took a bit of a step back because I wanted to focus on this because this to me was like my career. Like, this is the thing I've been waiting for. Like, it started off in journalism school, being Strombo, um, uh, DJ TV, the radio thing. Like, this is it right here. Like, I cared about nothing. Nothing mattered. I didn't give a shit about anything else. Did not care. I was broke as Fuck during this time, but I did not care. Like I wanted this, you know what I mean. If it meant not eating, then let me be hungry. You know what I mean. Like that—that's what it meant to me. So I remember we get to Toronto, um, and they all they they invite us up to come to Toronto. There's people from like the GTA, Saskatchewan, Vancouver, all all over, whatever. And we we're doing the, we were doing like all these trials and, and practice runs and all that stuff. So they get like a like a like a highlight pack reading. And then we had to do like uh, a one-on-one conversation with one of the experienced hosts. Uh, we were doing like interviews in like, in, like this like, locked area and stuff like that. Like it was really fun, and it's just, like I got to express my personality and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And you know, doing like the uh, doing like the, uh, the the highlight pack stuff, like that stuff, like I knew I already knew how to do because I was doing that in school and I did that at Rogers TV. So like that shit prepared me for that moment. And it was a basketball highlight as well. So I was like, thank you, God. So like all the shit that I was watching from the, from the highlight pack of basketball, I watched that game like two days ago. So like this shows nothing to me. I was like, oh, this is, mm. I'm, I'm eating right now. You know what I mean? Like you haven't, mm. like you, y'all fucked up. Y'all have me on my element now. Like you're, you're in my role now. Like you're locked up in here with me. Like that was my mentality. And so I remember before, you know, getting on the platform to do that, before I did that, um, one of the producers of that network uh, uh his name is greg sansoni before going you know so yeah like as i was getting ready for the uh for the on camera challenges and stuff like that uh, the lead producer of the network his name is greg Sansoni, uh he, he kind of told me, he kind of came from me from behind or whatever just kind of put like his hand on my shoulder or whatever and i kind of looked at him dead in his eye or whatever and he just told me to go out and kill it he's like kill it kill it like i know i'm gonna like what i see just kill it i'm like all right cool thank you so i did just that i killed my i killed the audition or not the the audition but the challenge rather so it was just like you know a highlight pack um just like a like a segment throw and then also just a one-on-one interview with uh, one of the hosts at the time which is jackie redmond shout out to jackie by the way she's really cool um have a have a nice back and forth whatever kind of got to make it a little bit more comedic, you know, like I, like I have a very good sense of like, knowing when to add in like a joke here and there just to like give off a vibe to my personality. Like, it was even to the point where like, I can even hear some of the people like holding the cameras just like that, like laugh, whatever, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. Like I, I got everyone laughing, whatever. So it was really fun. Um, and then we did like a little draft combine thing, like where like athletes do, but like we did with like, in the form of trivia questions as we're on like a treadmill and stuff like that, which is pretty fun. Um, but yeah, overall, it was a really cool experience. Um, and I remember fast forward to August of 2012. So like, I think like they took like the next few months to decide who they're going to add into their final six. And, um, I got the call from one of the producers and he's saying I didn't make it. And he's saying how the only reason why I didn't make it was because like my sports knowledge wasn't as well-rounded as like the other finalists was, but he said like everything else I had, I had personality, I had like the charisma, all that stuff, whatever, and, like, I was a little dejected just because, like, I put so much into it because, like, I, again, I had nothing. I had no job, broke up with the girl I was dating around that time. Like, it was just nothing, right? Like, I just zeroed on that. But, you know, after I had, like, my boo-hoo moment for, like, a day or two, I'm like, you know what? Like, this is only going to make me better. You know what I mean? So, like, there's no time to, like, frown mm-hmm. about it. Let me just get back on the horse. You know, I got a part-time gig at, at that time. I was about to start York University at that time. I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, let these things going for you right now. You're still at Rogers TV. Uh, you still got your own radio thing happening. Like, just keep doing your thing. Everything's going to kind of fall into place. So that's how that turned out as far as, like, the And then by the second time Drafty came around, I was like, you know what? Let me give this a shot. Let me, let, let me try, you know, I'll just again yeah, like, like, what's going to oh, yeah. hurt? And by this time, you know, I'm a bit more established now. So, like, cool radio is a thing now at this point. Um, I'm still doing Roger's TV as like, the co-anchor of the TV series. Um, I think New York had just ended around that time. So like I think the school year had just ended. So yeah, like I had a lot of things going for myself at this time, right? Like I was just like continuing to elevate and stuff like that. Um and I went out for the audition and like the audition went really well. Like it went really well. I didn't go like seven minutes of time, like I made it concise, concrete. And the joke was like I decided last minute what my little spiel was gonna be about. And I made it about, you know, this old Raptors player that was still playing for the Raptors at the time. And I was talking about, yo we should get rid of this guy. I I originally wasn't going to talk about that. I was going to talk about a non-basketball thing. But I'm like, you know what? Let me talk about a basketball thing just to get my foot in the door at the very least because they know I can bring it when it comes to something that I know, uh, like, front and back. And then, like, let me just get them that way and see what happens. So I did. I did that. And then the joke was, um, uh, after I was done doing my thing, whatever, like, people around me were like, smiling and like kind of like an ah whatever right and like jackie again she was there again whatever right and she's like dude look at the eyes around you like like you have this man like you just gotta work on some other shit but like dude you have this like i don't know what's gonna happen with the with, with the selection process but you're looking pretty strong right now i'm gonna just let you know that. i'm like all right cool cool so um even one guy like I, as i was leaving he's like yo dude yo did you get selected i'm like I don't know yet, man. I don't know yet. <laughs> like, I really don't know yet. I'm hoping I did, but we'll see. And then maybe like a week later, they called me. Like, they actually called me. It was an email that said they actually called me. And, like, it kind of sounded like they weren't going to select me. But then they're just like, that's why we want to select you again. Oh, my God. I'm like, what? Are you serious? I'm like, yeah. I was like, dang, like, you're the first person that has been selected to do the show twice. Oh, my God. So I'm like, wow. Okay. Like, all right, cool. So this time, I was a bit more. Let's get it. This was a bit. I was a bit more like focused. I was a bit more stone faced, whatever. Like the Mm -hmm. first time, I was focused and having fun. But I think this time I was more like Kobe Mamba mentality, you know, because I'm like, okay, I'm the first person in the show's history to get like a second chance at it. Like I can't mess this up. So again, similar thing. Come in, I do my challenges, kill it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then, you know, like at the same time, you network with other people and like just see, you know, what the vibe is like. Everyone's really cool as well. And then, you know, after all that, you know, despite the efforts, whatever, I still gonna make it the second time around. I'm like, all right, no biggie, right? Still getting my face out there. It's only going to help me in the long run, whatever. It is what it is. But, you know, I start to learn how to, like, you know, network and make connections and stuff like that. So still keeping in touch with certain people here and there, you know, by the time the whole thing was, like, all said and done. But, yeah, that was my experience with uh, with Drafted. Um, it's something that I have my resume, you know, like I was – you know a top finalist selection in a nationally you know nationally syndicated uh contest by by nationally syndicated program like that's something that people can't take away and yeah like it's it was dope i liked every minute of it
2: no the one good thing about it is you always seem grateful for all the experiences and you always value the networking so that's one good thing Mm -hmm. um i want to touch into one last thing before we get to the end here and that's Cool Radio. Now, Cool Radio has been on different platforms, been around for a while. So kind of got to break it into segments here, right? Yeah. yeah. I want to start about the beginning of Cool Radio. Mm -hmm. It was on CFRE Radio Mm -hmm. at University of Mississauga, Toronto, University of Toronto, Mississauga campus. Um, It started off with you. You Mm -hmm. brought on me. Mm -hmm. You brought on Schoolgirl K as well. Mm -hmm. And then there was um, the sold out entertainment um, connection as well. I just want you to talk
1: about. Absolutely. So, what was that? I think it was like late 2012. You got me in touch with um, with a sold out ENT, and um, we were talking about how you know this guy can bring on you know different artists and stuff like that to the show. So, I'm like, okay, cool, we can definitely try it out. Um, and then, so I had a meeting and a conversation with him, just talking about certain ideas I had and ideas that he had, and then we, we seemed to connect uh on that level at the very least I'm like, okay cool like there's a potential partnership here so after you know talking to him and what have you i was like okay i like what that is Reese, but i feel like i need to do a lot more with it i feel like it's kind of like ran its course because i already have dj tv anyway so let me rebrand that into something that's a bit more digestible something that's that's a bit more centered and focused or what have you so i went through a whole bunch of like name ideas and stuff like that so I'm thinking, and this is where, like, the whole idea of making cool a brand, you know, came to play. Because I already have my music under that name. Like, let's see if I can make that a reality with, with, uh, with radio. So I'm just, like, I'm talking to Justin about it. I'm like, Yo, how about cool radio? You know what I mean? It's simple. It's straight to the point. But it speaks to, you know, what, what the brand is. I'm like, yeah, all right, let's do it. Fuck it. All right. So cool radio. So I got in touch um, with uh, somebody to create the logo for it as well. And then just to create like uh, business cards as well for myself, just because I feel like I was kind of going on going on, going on to another echelon of like where I wanted to be as far as like networking and and just making those connections or what have you. So got the got the new logo down and everything. I was kind of flaunting it off on Instagram and just on social media and stuff like that, just letting people know, you know, this is coming. This is going to be a thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? This is this is definitely going to be a thing. So just just mm-hmm. you wait. Mm-hmm. So. January of 2013, that's when Cool Radio Day debuts. And so at first, it was me, you, Drew was recording, um, sold out. was He was kind of like the, the plug behind, you know, getting certain guests within the hip-hop community into the show as well. Um, and yeah, like when I first started, it, it was dope, man. Like it was like it was more centric around hip-hop and stuff like that. Um, and then maybe after a month, uh, we had our homegirl, schoolgirl, Kay, on the show. Uh, shout out to school girl k and we had her on as a guest but then i'm like yo like i would love to have like a female dynamic on the show as well Mm -hmm. because beforehand when i was doing let that is Read, i had my homegirl raven on the show shout out to raven by the way she was on the show as well that's Um, right and then i'm just i'm just like man we need like i feel like the show needs a female dynamic right so kayla i've always i've always respected her her intellect and just her, just her outgoingness and just her ability to speak on a whole bunch of different things, a bunch of broad topics and what happened, right? No matter how much we may bump heads, like I always respected her level of inter- intellect and just her, her witty banter at the same time. So I'm just like, Yo, oh, Kayla, I don't want to put any pressure on you right now, but I like the dynamic and the energy that we have on the show when we when all three of us are together. So mm-hmm. how would you like to be the third co-host or I guess the second co-host or third host overall of Cool Radio? He's like, yo, let's do it. I'm down. I'm down. Let's do it. So I'm, like, okay, dope. So at this time, it's myself. It's Jay Kareem. It's Google K. So we start doing the show together now as a trio. Drew Breeze is recording as usual. Frank is kind of giving us the plug-in as far as guests goes and what have you. So I'm, like, okay, dope. So at this time, you know, as I'm getting the show around and, and kind of promoting it, people are kind of comparing us to The Breakfast Club. Just because of the dynamic, right? You have two male hosts, and one female host, and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, cool, like that, that's dope. Like I wasn't even aiming for it to be like that, but like if that's what people want to compare it to, I'm I'm open to that, no problem. Um, but it was cool that people were like kind of praised us to that level to, to the point where they would kind of compare us to like a, a big show like that. So I'm like, wow, that's that's heavy, that's huge. Okay, that's dope. pretty awesome. <laughs> so like, um, so it got to a point where like okay, we're, we're hosting and, like, and, like, all these people are coming through and stuff like that and people are annoying about it. Um, and then I would say probably around maybe, what, August of 2013, um I was having, you know, some creative differences with, with uh, Sold Out e t or whatever. And, like, he kind of had an idea of how he wanted the show to run, but I had different ideas for it. And it kind of got to a point where, you know, we were just diverging away from one another. So we thought it was best to just, you know, kind of, and whatever relationship we had at that point, and just kind of do our own thing, just because like he had ideas that are completely left of what I wanted to do for, for my show, because that's essentially what it was, my show at the end of the day, it was my creation and what have you, and, you know, if whatever ideas he had didn't really jive with it, and he was completely against the things that I had, then we just figured, hey, well, maybe we shouldn't work together anymore. So that's how that came about. And so we continued to do the show how I wanted to do it, and it became a bit more broad at that point because I feel like it was yes it was hip hop but I think like it's a bit more underground hip hop centric. I'm like okay like there's yeah. more to that than just the underground aspect, right?
2: Like because that's true. Could- at that time we were going to the big ticket. We're we're going to all the underground events. I think yeah. it was literally like we would film every Wednesday and at least two to three times a week we're at underground performances. It was it was entertaining. It was really good. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people now that I saw early on that I see are now are now booming a exactly, lot of yeah. people that we noticed very very early on that mm-hmm. I see now in the hip hop scene that I'm like I remember when they first performed.
1: Yeah. And, oh, and that's one of the gratifying things to really good, it's really about good it, to see that. that. Really Absolutely. good. Absolutely. And I would say one of the highlights of that era was like when we went to it just I don't think you were here for this one actually but we went to this like networking event in Toronto at this hotel or whatever and we saw like a lot of big names like in the in the Canadian like music scene. That was scene the one in I general. missed. Yep. Um yep. so like randomly bumped into Julie Black. That was crazy um and then that's cool i had a conversation with glenn lewis i'm like i'm like yo ain't that ain't that and don't do <laughs> really it I'm like, yo, that's that guy? okay and then uh, <laughs> i had a conversation with with divine brown and like i was a little a little bit in awe of that because i'm like oh shit that's divine brown and like i had this thing where like i stare and like by the time i catch it it's like two seconds it's too in, late like, Fuck. it's too late right but then she totally booked it she's like hey how's it going i'm like She's talking to me, she's talking to me. I was like, "I'm good. How's it going? Yeah, cool." <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, and that ended up being like a really cool um, networking link um, because I ended up having her on Cool Radio later, in, in, like years later down the line. Mm. And then also, um, I met Melanie, uh, Melanie Durant, like mm. who I had a huge crush on when I was a teenager, and just seeing her in person, I'm like, "Oh my god, she looks so much better in person." Oh my god, and she's a super nerd too. Like she has this. Hello Kitty obsession. I'm like, oh my God, like, I love it. So it's just like, <laughs> I just remember, no I, no, I stand for her. I, I don't even care.
2: I stand, I, for think her it's hard.
1: I stand for her so hard, but like, yeah, like I was a little, I was a little in awe just like having that conversation with her like at that event or whatever, but it was cool. And then, you know, fast forward to like September and onward, still doing our thing. We're having guests here and there, what have you, having our discussions. Um, and then I think probably by the time We got to, like, the midpoint of 2014. uh, I feel like everyone kind of had, like, different different paths that they wanted to go to. So, like, I know for Justin, for example, I think you had just gone to teach college around that time. Yeah. And so you wanted Mm. to pursue that full time. So like, yo, dog, do it, man. Do it. Like, you have the golden opportunity. Do it. I know you'd want me to do the same thing. So, please, by all means. Uh, And then Kayla, I think she had just moved to Scarborough. So, like, the the commute from Scarborough to Saga was was too much for her at one point in time. So, I'm like, yo. Caleb, if, if you need to leave and handle your business like I work in living home situation, I get it. I get it, I totally understand, right? And then, you know, same thing with Breezy, like I think he had gotten like a new job and the hours are just way too demanding. So I'm like, yeah, I get it. So at this point now, like I'm kind of like handling cool radio on my own, but it's making me a bit more ambitious and motivated. Cause it's like, okay, cool, like it's back to just me now. So, like, what am I gonna do different that you know I wasn't doing before? So at this point in time my social media game had to step up. So I was making a lot more connections on Instagram, a lot more connections on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think I was working at Apple at the time. So I was like really getting into tech and like, just like figuring out like what I could use in order to like record, you know, my, my radio show and stuff like that. So I was buying cameras and something like that, buying little tripods, hooking them up on one end on one of the other ends. So like you have mm-hmm. a view of the guests and the view of myself talking um, yeah, I, I was, I went to the ultimate hustle mode at that point in time. And, you know, I made the show a bit more broad as well, just so I can have like a wider audience too. And it got to the point where like, I was having like, even just non-hip hop people on the show. I, was, I I had pop singers and country singers on the show. I had a reggaeton artist on the show. I, I've had educators on the show. I've had, um, politicians on the show. Like I made it really broad and really universal. And yeah, exactly. And like, I just made it to, to a thing where like the basis of it is hip hop. Yes, but it's very inclusive at the same time. You don't now, have to be the uber hip hop nerd to, to be on my show, or whatever. Like you could be from any walk of life. And if, as long as you're willing and comfortable to have that conversation, let's have these conversations.
2: So, I think um, you brought it from like a college hip hop show to more like a hip hop show that addresses global content. Um, exactly. I think I think uh, that transition when we were when you are on UTM uh, with me and Kayla so when you transferred over to Maximum FM due to your relationship with Chris Scott Rocks. And mm-hmm. I want you to get into that for a second. But I think that was when the show started to expand outside of just college backpack hip-hop to like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about relationships, sex, politics, mm-hmm. and we're going to tie it into hip-hop. So talk about that change or just talk about uh, that relationship with Chris Scott Rocks going forward. I know he's with a big ticket. I think that was where you guys met. But just talk about that going forward. I just want to wanna close it off with that, actually. And then added on to that where do you see the show going forward after that
1: right right so yeah it got into that because you know i was getting older and like there's a lot of things that are happening like within my life that a lot of people can relate to as well so i figured like let's open up the, the door with that because for the last couple of years now i've been talking about relatively the same things right but like let's open the door wider because like, there's so much potential for for reach and what have you and not only did i come to that decision because of you know Certain experiences I had going through in life in general and stuff like that, but also because of the caliber of guests that I was starting to get like people who had like a shit ton of followers on their social media platforms and who people who had a recognizable name. Like I was mentioning how I networked with Melanie Durant at that party or whatever, and two years later, she hops on my show and that had a lot of eyes and a lot of attention because she was going on like, on like a press run for an album at the time. Like the next day, she was on G987 and CP24. I'm like, hold on. She's on these major networks and she found time to come on to my show. Like, that's crazy. And so oh, like, man. I put out the, the podcast for that as well as the the video clips for that. And people were really like a lot more people were trying to glue in now. Like, yo, you have no need to run on your show. Da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, yo, people were really like, like, really like watching and tuning into that. Like, like, really? So I'm like, okay, cool. So like, all right, now that I have more eyes on my show, now I have the opportunity to expand upon it. Right. And like, that's what I wanted to do, which is what I did. And I was really happy about that as well. And like, I had like a lot of, like a lot of major name guests on my show, apart from her. Like I had John River on my show as well, which is really, which is really huge as well at that time. And so, you know, it came to a point where I was talking to Chris and I had Chris on my show a couple of times as well. And he was talking about how he's starting his own radio. And he was like, man, like, I think you really, you, you'd be really good for, for what I got going on. I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll give it some thought, I'll give it some thought. And I think at the time I was just thinking about convenience because I live in Oakville, radio station is a saga, all it takes is one bus and, and you know, I'm there and back, right? But then I was talking to my good friend, Goliath Pa, Shout to Goliath Pa. He told me how they got like a real strong thing going on at Maximum FM and like, it's really professional over there. And, you know, it's, you know, the content over there is a lot more mature and stuff like that. And it's probably somewhere where you can thrive. So I was thinking about it and I've been at CFRE for so long. I've had a few issues over there, like especially during the summertime, uh, with like, you know, trying to actually get into the building because of school hours and all that stuff. And and, you know, just having to and just having to report to people who are a bit younger than me. I'm just like, felt a little bit weird, not gonna lie. Like nothing against that, but it's just like I was kind of operating
2: differently, right? I see. And point. so
1: I was like, you know what? Maybe it is time for a change. What's gonna hurt? You know like okay i'm missioning to to uh, downtown toronto every friday but like i've missioned further distances like i went to i went to internet tsn for like almost a year and that's all the way in scarborough you know what i mean i was doing that in the morning and i did that like tw- like twice a week so if i can do that i can mission to downtown no sweat so that's exactly what i did so uh had me hop on one of his shows that day it was like a saturday or whatever and he made the announcement right there and then that I'd be the, the newest host for Maximum FM. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's let's make it official. Let's do it right now, right? So I kind of felt like a free agent, you know, signing a new deal, so to speak. So after the show was done in April, that was my final show at, at uh, Maximum FM. I was like, or oh, not Max, sorry, right, cool. Uh, CFRE, sorry. I'm like, you know what? Thank you guys, but, you know, this is the, the last show I got. And it was cool because like I got two awards out of it as well. I, I thought I was pretty sick. And um, I was like, you know, I've done everything that I need to do over here. I think I think it's time to move on now. So about a month later is when I started Cool, Ra- uh, cool Radio on Maximum FM. And one of the first guests I had on the show was uh, was my boy, Dane smith who I played black, uh, basketball overseas and what have you played in South America and all that stuff. So I figured, OK, if I'm, if I'm going to, you know, debut my show on a new network, I got to get like a big name guest who's like ready to like come in and, you know, give me that blessing and what have you. So ever since then, like, it, it's been a fun ride. It's been a really fun ride. Like I've had so many guests on the show that I'll never forget. Like, again, I had Divine Brown on my show at that time after, you know, connecting with her like four years prior. Um, I had, you know, a lot of popular YouTubers on that show, a lot of popular people on social media. I've had like these year-end special reviews that, I, that, that I've been doing for the last few years, especially going back to CFRE. Um, yeah, man, like lots of noteworthy moments, man. And, and, you know, it's stuff like that that I'll never forget, uh, stuff that I want to continue to do and stuff that I've benefited from. And it even got to a point where my show was the number one radio show on that network as well. So that was really big for me as well. Um, and then also just kind of going into that podcast format. Um, I mean, I, man, mind you, I was doing that when I was at CFRE, uh, but moving that over to uh, Maximum FM was pretty dope as well. Uh, as well as doing the live format too. But uh, yeah, it's just, you know, connecting with people through social media has been really big, especially. And that's probably one of the major things I give social media the props for. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Been a lot of fun, hella fun, in fact. And yeah, I'm gonna keep it, keep it rocking for as long as I can.
2: No, that's perfect. And of course, with COVID shutting down, it makes it harder for you to get to a uh, max on FM. But you, as you said at the beginning, you are looking at uh, starting back cool radio during COVID. Are you looking at doing that from home? Doing it on the Zoom or? Yeah, doing it on the
1: Zoom. Um yeah. with COVID, it makes it a lot harder, right? Because you know, traveling from Oakville to Toronto, like you're always opening yourself up, up to that risk of potentially catching something. I didn't want to mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. You know, what I mean, just for my own reasons as well as like for my father as well. So didn't really want to put myself in that predicament. So not only that, but during this whole COVID break uh period, I took a break from cool radio. Uh just because I was burnt out. Like, straight up, I was burnt out because with Cool Radio, I think a lot of people on the outside looking in, they think that I just come in, do the radio show, and then that's Right? And I, get, and I get it. You know, like, if you don't really know that much about how the creative and production process works, then you're going to think that, which is totally fine. With Cool Radio, it, it's a thing where it's an all-week thing. So on Monday through Thursday, I'm researching stories that I could potentially discuss throughout the week um also during that time i'm also looking at different guests that i could have uh for the whole month so to speak and then you get to friday it's production day or or air air, air day or whatever and you got to figure out which stores are going to make you know the cut so to speak and if it's a thing where there's a story that is like breaking news or whatever then you kind of like got to reshuffle your deck so to speak so there's that and then i get to the studio i get there like an hour before showtime. I set up the set and everything like that. Make sure all the audio levels are correct, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. And then, especially if I have a guest on that day, I really gotta make sure everything's on point so that I, that everyone can hear their voices and and all that stuff. As well as for me to, for as well as for me to uh, debrief them. And then um, after that's done, um, all the audio recorded on the weekend. I do the audio editing and what have you. And then also for the video. Depending on what's being discussed, you what have you like I'll just edit the video to the point where we talk about the major stuff, and then I have to take little video clips out of that, post on social media, and do all that stuff, and then I may post some more videos throughout the week leading up into the new week as well. So it's a seven-day process, and like that's a lot, right? Especially if you're doing it all by yourself, especially with you know just looking over everything. So it's just like, okay, hey, I need a break from all that. Like I love it, I really do, but if this whole pandemic period is a period and an opportunity for us to kind of like recollect and unwind and stuff like that, and just kind of put things into perspective, then I think, you know, I've earned more than enough time to like give myself a recovery break, so to speak. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what I did. I can see but that. during that recovery break, it was fun to hop on other people's podcasts. Like I hopped on awkward and black. Of course I hopped on uh, no hard feelings podcast with, with my boy shock. That shouts to him. So it, it's really cool that I got to be on the other side and just be, Hey, I'm just here to give my opinion. That's it. Cool. But, you know, like after doing that for so long, it's like, okay, now kind of itching to talk about a few things. You know? no. So um, so now I'm at that point where I'm definitely going to be relaunching cool radio, but it's going to be more in a podcast format. Going to be doing it from okay. home. Going to be doing it through, through the Zoom lens as usual um, or as per the usual nowadays, I should say. And <laughs> yeah, just keep doing it that way until, until you know, this pandemic kind of thing kind of lifts overall and see where we go with that.
2: Yeah, man, if you ever want to, you know, bring us on the Cool Radio podcast. I I know we're waiting. We're waiting until we go in. But honestly, I don't even know when that's going to be. That might be another year, two years from now until you have that ability. So, yeah, forever we're always It's better to
0: work with what you have access to instead of
1: waiting. Exactly.
2: But, nah, Daniel, honestly, man, we want to thank you for coming in. We got one more topic, but I want to close you off right, man. I want to thank you for coming in. Uh, I've known you for shit.
1: We're going to say like 14 years,
2: I think. Yeah, almost two decades, I was about to say, man. Yeah, Yeah, man. And we like when I was putting this together, I didn't realize how much we've been through or how much you've been through. So I'm going through it and I'm like, yeah, I remember this guy doing the spoken word. Change promotion. people don't know. Change Promotions at the time was like the talent show for Pure Region. Mm -hmm. You were in pure region and you were doing hip hop. This is back when the dancer, when the dancer culture was out. If you were doing hip hop, you were a dancer, you were doing R&B, you wanted to be on Change Promotions. That was the first Mm -hmm. time people heard names like Eric Mm Flowchild, it was the first time, right? So it was like, I'm looking back at it. I'm like the spoken word poetry, the change promotions, the beginning of Cool Click, DJ TV, all the things we used to go to, like you said, Blada, Big Ticket, all the performances. Then that led me all the way into like CFRE with cool radio and then Max on my phone with cool radio. And then it was a lot, man. I had to really, I had to really go through the crates a little bit and be like, this is we did a lot. I mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff I couldn't get to touch on because I know we don't have time. There's a lot of memories that I couldn't get to touch on because we'd be here forever, just me and you just talking shit.
1: I know, but, I know. She Yo, wanted to do a part two
2: I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good though. It was good, man. I think um one thing we both wanted to touch touch with you on is uh the movie Soul. We ended up watching the movie Soul, I would say a little bit after Christmas. I would say maybe into the New Year. Did we watch into the new year or was it right after Christmas? Brittany watched
0: it. We watched
2: it after Christmas. After Christmas, yeah. And um we absolutely loved it. Um, I feel like anybody who has a passion or a dream that they're trying to achieve will love the movie soul i thought pixar did their thing pixar never really fails for me pixar has always been a winner for me They they have a good job of being able to capture people's um hearts and souls which i think disney kind of fell out of after the 90s which is not their fault disney had the longest run right so uh i think it was great um I know me and you both watched a podcast or people did have complaints about the movie, but we'll get into that later. But uh, what was your thoughts on on the movie Soul?
1: Oh, man. All right. Off the bat, just off the bat, it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. One of the absolute greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. And I didn't really have a whole lot of high expectations going into the film. Um, I just wanted to see it because Jamie Foxx is in it, and Jamie Foxx is one of my favorite actors ever. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let's like, I'm here for it. You know, we got black animated characters in in a, in a Pixar movie. That's cool. Um, and just watching the movie, like, it was a lot more than what I expected it to be. So I didn't know that it was going to be about you know discovering what your passion is and and whether or not your passion is the meaning why you have life and what have. That. I didn't know it was going to get that metaphysical. Like I was not expecting that at all. Like, I wasn't ready for that. I thought it was going to be more about you know, jazz and something to do with the afterlife and what have you. Um, and I felt like jazz, it was more of like a MacGuffin, so to speak, uh, where, or, or somewhat of like a plot point. It could have been about anything, but they just happened to make it about jazz, which is really cool because like, you know, there's certain aspects of the film where you talk about being in your zone or being in your creative pocket, so to speak. And for a lot of people, that's different. For me, it could be, you know, whether I was doing my music or doing your radio show, for example, um, but for that character, it was about jazz and how he just loses himself in the music and what have you. So I thought that was a really cool aspect about the, about the film. Uh, when it comes to, and this is something that I've always nipped for the longest time, but when it comes to Black animation, like animating Black characters, I feel like it's very seldom do animators ever get it right. Like anytime I, I see like a, a Black animated yeah. character, like especially a male character, it can be in right. comic books especially. They have those jacked up hairlines. I'm like, yo, why are you giving my man some fuck up hairline? Especially
2: for? in the '90s, like, like, like Vince yeah. LaSalle from Recess and and the dude from um, Hey Arnold. They all look exactly the same.
1: Yeah, just like give my man a proper hairline. Give him like a nice like 180 degree, and then like with the curves to the side or whatever. Like, why are you doing my man's like that, right? <laughs> but then like I see in in the uh, in the cartoon or, or sorry, in Soul or whatever. I'm like, okay, okay, I see some proper black hairstyles. You know what I mean, like. The, bar- the barber, for example, had like a James Harden beard all immaculate looking. And then he had the curly high top like this, for example. I'm like, OK, OK, somebody took some diversity classes. OK, I'm not mad at it. And then, you know, just the little stuff like that was like really big for me. But then like the conversations that they were having in the barbershop about getting to know the barber and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I that was very relatable to me because like, you know, going to the barbershop that I go to, the guys who run it, like they, they went to high school with me back at, back in Mississauga. And they told me aspects about their lives that I never knew about. I'm just like, wow. And like it gave me like a new a newer appreciation for them as well, just as people, you know what I mean? So you know, I can definitely relate to that. And then once it got into like the second half of the second act of the film, all the way into the third act and to the end, I'm like, that's when it really started hitting me because it's like, especially when you know the, the scene where he gets his body back and then he sits, he sits down at his piano, he pulls out all the items in his pocket, like the lollipop and the and and the yarn and what have you, and like the little leaf pellet, and like he's just playing the piano and he's just kind of going through his life, you know, his dad teaching him about you know jazz, and then his dad playing the final stages of his life, him and his mom at the beach, he's just playing the piano. I'm like, man, oh man, this is really catching me right now. Ah, oh, what are you doing? Stop it! Ah, damn it. The feels. You know what I mean? So. I'm just like, man, this is this really heavy stuff because it's like, you know, you're thinking about you know your life up to that point. It's just like, have I done enough that people will remember me if it's all said and done, right? And that's one of the major like themes of the movie, and that's kind of like a major theme that I relate to in my life because that's what creating our own legacies is all about, so to speak. It's like if I if I'm to to be gone, you know, knock on wood, (laughs) but if I'm to be gone at any point in time, like, what will I be remembered for, and will it be enough? You know what I mean? Like, will I be remembered as somebody who? did everything he could to, you know, define who he was as a person? Or will I be seen as some sort of, like, cautionary tale of what not to become? You know what I mean? That's nothing that anybody wants to be. So, like, Mm. all those montages of him reflecting upon his life as he's playing the piano, it was, like, really getting to me. And then, you know, just uh, him finding 22, who had become a lost soul, because, like, she didn't know what her purpose was and what have you. I'm just like, man, this is really, like, hitting on every beat right now like what is going on and then you know um the character jamie's character just doing the selfless act of guiding her and just being like hey don't be afraid like you're gonna do fine so he jumps into that little wormhole with her as she's going into earth with her earth badge and then you know he's about to die like, he's about to go into the pearly gates because he sacrificed himself essentially and then they said hey you know we decided to give you a second chance and then you know like when she asked her yo what are you going to do with your life now she's like He's like, I don't know, man. Just, I guess I'm just going to live. And then you just see the movie end where he's just, he's walking out the door and he's just happy that the sun is shining down, that the wind is blowing and that he can breathe and just be who he wants to be. Like, whether he wants to play in that jazz band at the night, in the night, or he wants to take on that new full-time uh, music teacher position, he can do both and still find some modicum of happiness and that's okay. And so just watching that and just, you know, having that that sense of reprieve and just having that 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 sense of you know uh that that knowledge of self moment so to speak it really touched me i was like wow and like i'm glad the movie ended on that note because it's like how often do you get a second chance at anything let alone life you know once you finally realize what the meaning of something is you know what i mean so i'm really glad he was able to get that second chance and when he did i was like
2: Man, yes. there, was, there was so yes. many things that I loved about that movie. I, I always tell Brittany like, I like to see movies with Black characters that are not written for Black characters. So, like, anybody could have played that role. I think when they originally wanted to make it about jazz, that's when they made it a Black character because of the historical contents. But when I watched it, I was like, this was a movie with a Black character, but it wasn't a Black movie, and I absolutely loved that about it. I loved that it was about his passion. Um... Honestly, I I had no complaints. Um, Brittany, how'd you feel about the movie?
0: Watching the movie made me realize that sometimes you can forget an importance of being able to, like, actually help other people. And Jamie Foxx's character actually realizes that by helping 22 and going through these emotions, he actually finds himself again and finds out what actually makes him happy and what his actual purpose is for himself, so for me that was the strongest message because when he realizes what genuinely makes him happy and what he wants to do he's able to enter the world with a completely different outlook and the way that he sees the world and they actually helped each other even though 22 fought against it adamantly they eventually helped each other because at one point he got frustrated with 22 and that could happen. But at the end of it all, they both found their purpose. They both found their calling and it ended on a note of just positivity, but it also ended with him being a genuinely happy person and 22 finally being able to enter the world and to hopefully become a positive person who knows she may actually help other people. Um, She may, it, it shows you that even though you may have a passion, sometimes you can lose that kind of guiding light that actually made you love it to begin with. And you can become really, really involved in it and believe that you really, really love it until you're given a completely different perspective that gives you a better outlook and that allows you to become a better person overall. So that's what I took from the movie.
2: And to me, like, I like I like the double entendre because, yes, a lot of it was about following your passion. But at the end of it, it seemed like what they were trying to show you is, Sometimes the passion you think you're following is not always because because the whole thing was he wanted to be a jazz musician. And then at the end of it, he learned that, like, you know what, he gets more passion out of teaching jazz and just out of living life in general. like his life doesn't always have to be about this one thing. Right. And sometimes people that are stuck to their passions, like the three of us here, you start to think that. And you're like, if I can't do this, what am I going to do with my life? Right. So there was just there was so many aspects it was it was really good, man. Pixar Pixar killed it. I know a lot of people had complaints. I sent you guys a podcast. I watched a lot of podcasts about it, and it goes back to what I was saying in the early episode, where I feel like um, I feel like sometimes with like the past couple years, right? I feel like a lot of people focus on race for everything, and when I heard people's complaints about it and they were digging at the race and da 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 da, and I was just like, okay, but the the like Tina Fey may be white, but the soul is not white, and it was just all these little contrived things. People's heads well, the and soul just is like, just wow. the soul. The
0: soul hasn't been assigned exactly. anything yet, so it doesn't exactly. matter. It doesn't exactly. matter what exactly. race they are. It doesn't matter yeah, what what exactly. what if they're being portrayed by a female or a male because the soul technically has no identity yet.
2: Exactly, exactly. No exactly. It's non-binary, Exactly. exactly. I think, I think what, I was, what I was noticing with that is that, like, I think a lot of people are so caught up in... I, you know what it is? I feel like a lot of Black people, because of, I guess, our predicaments, we want to see that represented as negative as that is in every movie. And it's like, no, it's just a movie about him. It didn't focus on his Blackness, right? And I feel like a lot of people that had their complaints were mad about the fact that it didn't focus on his Blackness. Sadly, sadly enough, you know what I mean. But I loved it, man. I absolutely loved it. I would recommend anyone to watch that movie. I absolutely, absolutely, one
1: hundred percent. And like, I just feel like with like a lot of black people, like when they're watching movies like this, they get in their own ways and they get their own, get in their own heads as well. They don't allow themselves yeah. to grow and watch something that's out of the ordinary for them. And like, mm-hmm. like what you're saying, Justin, this movie could have been made for any character. They did not have to be a black person. They did not have to be an Asian or white or whatever the case may be. It was just about our. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I was saying, um, yeah, I feel like sometimes when black people are watching like movies with other black people in it, they expect the norm as far as what we see, as far as the stereotypes or what have you, because they, that's been the depiction of black people for so long that they've been so used to it and they, and they just feel like that's how all black mm-hmm. people live. But like, I feel like when they see something different, like a different interpretation of black people, they're, they're not used to it and because they're not used to it. They, they're very quick to criticize it and call it unrealistic, even though some of the, some of the situations that Black people find themselves in within film or TV are so bombastic that it's just like how can you call this realistic yeah. and a situation not realistic? What just because you don't know other black people who have this lifestyle, it's like it's more than just you know the crack epidemic and welfare and poverty. Like, like we're so exactly. much more than that. And it's like I feel like black people are way too defined by their struggle half the time. Yeah, it's just like we don't always have to struggle, like, we can we can live our lives like any other person, like we don't have to always talk about like, Jim Crow. Or or slavery or anything like that, or being brought up in the church and everything. We could talk about what we like when it comes to watching a game of basketball, or we can like what, 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 when it comes to music or stuff like that. We can talk about how the person at Starbucks gives us like the the wrong froth or whatever. You know what I mean? Like we can talk about mm. regular everyday stuff. Why does it always have to be I think baby mama drama and loving hip hop and all that other shit?
2: Me me and Dell were talking about this the other day on the phone, not specifically soul, but just this topic. But I think it's the fact that. Black people have been shown their own trauma in movies and television shows for so long that it's become normalized. So if it doesn't matter what movie it is, if the movie is not based in and around our trauma, we don't see it as black. So if if the movie is a historical movie, it's got to be about slavery or it has to be about a moment in civil rights where we overcame based in our trauma The movie is a relationship movie. As Britney said before, it can't just be about, the movie be about two people in love and how in love they are. It has to be about the trauma of their love. Somebody cheated on somebody. Someone did someone wrong. Someone stole on somebody. It can't just be about them just being in love. And if it is about them being in love, like the photograph, people say it's not realistic, right? And this, this goes this goes on and on and on. It doesn't matter if it's about sports. There's got to be some sort of trauma. He's getting out the ghetto. He got shot. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, right? And I think it's sad because we've come to a point where, where somebody does make a movie or any type of creative imagery that's not about our trauma it's like it's unrecognizable to us right so it's just it's it's sad and I wouldn't even say a lot of it is based off our reality I think a lot of it is a perceived reality because and we've had this conversation right I especially in Canada I know plenty of people who will make these statements and then I have to look back at them and be like is that true for your life no is that true for any black person you actually know no so why do you think this is a reality? Like, and one of one of my homegirls, uh, we we're talking about this on the night of the Keisha Cole, um, Ashanti, um, oh, Shanti, yeah, yeah. yeah, and she was she was Ashanti
1: held a down, like I told y'all,
2: she did, she did, she did, she was she was saying it. She's like she's like yo, it's not the same. She's like we never had a crack epidemic. No one ever forced us into ghettos. Our, our fathers were not crackheads our mothers were not crackheads like like yes you may have people here and there where their father left or whatever but that's probably the only similarity everything else is not the same like I'm not saying racism doesn't exist here but it's it's not in the same function as exists over there you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's just like we're not living in the country that our parents were slaved in that history is not here with us every single day right so I think a lot of it is people taking on that you know what I mean? Like this is something that Black Americans deal with, and I'm going to take on this image and and run with it, right? So
1: yeah, yeah, I agree with it, and I feel like once you do that, like you'll elevate your your level of thinking. And it's it's one thing if you know you didn't you didn't like the movie, you didn't like the movie or whatever. But like there are some people who will say you know because of that 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 outlook that they have that like the movie was bad or whatever the case may be, whether it's Soul, whether it's the photograph, whatever movie, like. They'll say it's a bad movie just because like they didn't relate to it. Doesn't mean this that doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. Like if you didn't relate to it, that's fine. But objectively speaking, it doesn't mean it's a bad movie. You know what I, mean? I don't relate to any like,
2: of the mafia movies, but I like
1: it, them all. Exactly. <laughs> like for example, I saw I saw Midsummer and I'm not a horror fan by any stretch of the imagination. I stay away from horror movies. But objectively speaking, it was a well written and produced movie. It's it just was. not my cup of tea, but it was a well made movie. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you can take a step back and look at it for what it is, you can see that it was still a good movie, And with regards to Soul, for example. But because some people didn't relate to it, or because the argument was you know, Jamie Foxx's character wasn't really, you know, black for for that long. He was dead within the first 15 minutes. That's That's the whole point of the movie. It's just like, what do you want? It's like, well, he was talking to a white woman and the white woman was the one who was in his body. That wasn't a white woman. It was a soul. It was voiced by Tina Fey. Tina Fey's not that person. Tina Fay just like yeah. if the voice was from They made Nia Tina Fey
2: voice it because she has an annoying voice. That's why. Like it if makes the sense.
1: voice was done by Neil Long, this wouldn't even be a conversation. In fact, they're probably turning to a conversation where all oh, the black woman is the essence of the black man. And therefore, <laughs> it was <laughs> she <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I don't even have to finish that ridiculous statement. But they yes. would be some stupid whole type shit like that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I feel like I feel like sometimes black women just ruin it for themselves. Like they talk about how they I feel like a lot of black people talk about how they don't want to be marginalized. They don't want to be seen as a monolith. But all the time. They want to be a monolith. But when it comes within their own community. They, 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 they do it to themselves. Yep. They do it to themselves. Even just by the way, they criticize certain black films that are done in a way like Soul or The Photograph, whatever the case may be. You do it. It's like you say you want something different, but then when you get something different, you're not ready for it. So it's just like, it's like we well, not allowed to have nice things. you know what I mean? It's like we're just not allowed. It's just it's just bullshit sometimes, man. Like I, I get I get, I get so heated about it mean. because it's like these are the types of movies that I, as a black person, want to see, especially yep. a black person in their thirties. But like some black people just aren't ready to let go. It's like like listen, like the nineties renaissance is dead, the two thousands renaissance is dead. Like. Like you gotta get used to a different way of thinking, man. Like, you know you, you know,
2: you know what it is. You know what it is. There's a there's a certain thought process that's been around for a long time in the black community, and I think you have people of this generation who are unlearning that thought process. But a lot of people don't want to, right? And it's like if you want change, you have to also be a part of that same change that you want as well. But yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of people just don't. It's like um, it's like when I told you, I told you this both years ago. Right? I said if racism ended right now, I don't mean this comedically, but if racism ended right now, there would be a lot of black people who wouldn't have an identity.
1: They wouldn't have a soul
2: because their whole identity has been built around white oppression <laughs> and racism. I, mean got <laughs> I got it. But if racism wasn't around, yeah, they wouldn't have an identity. They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. It would be like they wouldn't have a
1: twenty-two, whoever. so to speak.
2: Basically, who am I? <laughs> Stupid shit. But no, no, Honestly, no. honestly, I I love the movie. Um, I those are the black movies I like to see. I think, and and like, you kind of hit it on the nail. And I was to be talking. I was talking about it last week with Brittany as well. I think I'm getting to that age. Like I'm I'm now 31, and I'm getting to realizing like a lot of this stuff is not relatable to me. I no longer care about it. I'm just. Mind you, it's 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 not that I can't sit down and enjoy like like a typical black movie for the entertainment purposes. Of course I can. But it's like I'm not getting any fruit from it. And not only that, but I think if there was much more, if it wasn't always one-sided, like if there was black movies of every single faction, it would be different. But because they're always like this, I feel like when you keep watching that stuff, you just, it's like you, you just start to internalize it. And I'm just yeah. like, I'm I'm tired of that. So I'm at that point where it's like, I like to see movies and television shows and stories told of characters where anybody could have played the role and they're just Black. Obviously, there are certain Black stories I want to be told because for specific reasons. So you can say Black Panther is like that. You can go on about certain things. But outside of those things, for the most part, I like to see movies and stories told that were not written for Black characters with a Black character in it. I just want to see Black people as human beings and not as statistics in movies all the time. But And I thought this did a good job of that for me.
1: Agreed, 100%. I agree.
2: You guys got anything left before we end out this episode?
0: No. Um,
1: no, I don't think so. I think I'm good. I think I'm good, actually,
2: yeah. Mm. Nah, Daniel, thank you for coming on DM Cool, Uh, we love to do this episode It's about time we did it We're definitely going to upload this We're definitely going to tag you in this Um, Yeah, thank you for coming on, man It's a long time coming Uh, Obviously you're going to be back, friend to the room So people will see you again here and there Uh, We can't wait to be on Cool Radio as well Can't wait as well Um, Daniel, if you want to plug yourself one last time Do what you got to do
1: Yes, yes, first of all, Thank you for having me on the show as always for, or a lot of times for for the most part, I should say. Uh, but yeah, thank you, especially for, you know, doing this episode, you know, about me and what have you, like, that's probably one of the few times I've ever had like a whole like, you know, dossier done about me, so to speak, which is really funny, kind of fun going back into memory lane. So I really, really appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, my, my socials and plugins and all that good stuff, um, follow cool radio at cool radio CC on, uh, Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook, um i know we're getting a few youtube and there's one more part twitter there we go all right and then you can follow me on different platforms at at cool for thoughts that's twitter i think no twitter is at dm Score cool and then uh instagram is cool for thought there we go and uh yeah no just uh, happy to do what i do and uh go raptors (laughs) 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 oh i threw that in there
2: (laughs) no it's all good it's all good all right guys uh we are we'll see you again um next two weeks so We'll say next month for now because we're, uh, next two weeks. Next two weeks, we'll see you guys. Bye, guys. All right, guys, bye.